New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I'm back. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Yours truly, Curtis Lee is back, and I'm back with a vengeance because I have just sat through an amazing performance of Res- Ramsey Monster's Sunday with Sinatra. You had Joe Piscopo, Joe P., and a whole host of other contributors live from Studio 77. And then the Dean Martin extravaganza without us getting into the fact that Jerry Lewis turned out to be a perv. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll do that in a future program. But the reason I'm playing the Godfather soundtrack is not because it's the 50th anniversary of the Godfather. It is the movie. Uh, And they've done tweaks to it so you can waste your money and go see it again, even though you memorize the lines, you know the scenes, and you can repeat it ad nauseum. No, there are two reasons that I play this song tonight. First and foremost is if you remember, it was on this Sunday night going into Monday morning just a week ago. Right after the animal welfare segment, which has proven to me the most listened to and requested of all the 20 hours that I do on the weekend when WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But just before, I had to pass off the microphone to the Mameluke, the Mameluch, and most importantly, the Machad Frank Morano. He decided to uh, sever the uh, other side of midnight, the weekend edition, which this used to be, from what he claimed was his ratings extravaganza as he went on and on and did an I and me and not an us and we. This may be the last time I play this song, Frank. Some of the listeners have wanted me to call the weekend segment of The Other Side of Midnight another, give it another name, since it's different than yours. I I agree. You're ruining our show's reputation. We work hard for this show. And don't need you uh, taking 13-minute calls from uh, uh, Mike in Manhattan about nonsense, about James K. Polk and how I don't talk enough about the Mexican-American War. Uh, pick a new name. Pick a new name. And I want to applaud the many of you out there who are listening on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound with uh, us going from standard time to nowhere time. That's what I call this. We went from standard time to nowhere time. In fact, I was I was robbed. I want this to be entered into the logs of the growing crime problem in New York City. At 2 a.m. earlier this morning, I was robbed of a precious hour of broadcast time because that same Frank Morano, that rat, had indicated that I had put in my mitts on the frosted mini-wheats in the kitchen, the cafeteria here, which is uh, staffed and stuffed with all kinds of uh, culinary delights, courtesy of Margot Katsimatidis uh, of Red Apple Media. And yes, I was caught, uh, but it was really Frank uh, Morano who ratted me out. The algorithms uh, actually brought it to the attention of HR. HR went to the videotapes, and there I was, scooping out the mini-wheats, sugar-frosted, I might add. 
And as a result, HR decided the only way to penalize Curtis Sliwa is you can't shoot him. That won't stop him. You can't stab him. You can't beat him with a baseball bat, a pipe. Uh, you can't do anything physically. You can hit him with a yellow cab. He'll still take a licking and come back kicking. The way to hurt Curtis Sliwa is to take an hour of broadcast time from him. And it did. It impaired me. I've been traumatized ever since. So I want you all to know that that hour that was purloined from me, from standard time, I might add, was the result of Frank Morano, the rat of all rats, talking about how I was putting my mitts all over the sugar-frosted mini-wheats. Can you believe how petty he has become? But forget about that. That's nothing in comparison to what I witnessed tonight. It's history in the making because as Joe Piscopo was up on the Studio 77 stage, he had the accoutrements, he had the sound system, he had all the technology that the engineering department of WABC could bring to him. There were the owner and operators of uh, Red Apple Media, our... our, uh, primary company that promotes not only WABC, but all the rest of their many products. John and Margot Katsimatidis and their family. As Joe Piscopo is entertaining the crowd, entering in staged your left, because it wouldn't be right, was Tish James, the Attorney General of the State of New York. Ah, and I made a beeline to Tish James. As soon as she was out of sight, out of mind, I said, Hey, Tisha, you're really getting it on with Andrew Evilized Cuomo. I remember when he chose you to be his attorney general, when you were protected by Andrew Evilized Cuomo, and now you've turned the tables on him. And she said to me, You know, he's running. He's running. I said, Yeah, I know he's running. And she looked at me and she said, Keep it up. Because long before Tish James decided that, in fact, Andrew Evilized Cuomo was an enemy, she had embraced him as part of that democratic cabal that controlled Albany, our state capital, going from the governorship of Andrew Evilized Cuomo to the attorney generalship of Tish James to uh, the controller position of Tom DiNapoli, out of sight, out of mind. You couldn't, you couldn't pick him out of a lineup, Tom DiNapoli. But, oh, what a climactic battle it would have been. Tis James, the Inquisitor, versus the man who has anointed himself as the victim of all victims, Andrew Evilized Cuomo. I think it is appropriate that I take a moment right now and I address Andrew, who is listening, not on WABC in the 50,000-powerful watts of sound. No, he cannot hear it through the disquantificator, but through the spectrometer. In the compound run by Fredo, his brother Chris, he is able to listen to us on WLIR, our sister station, our FM station. I want to salute you, Andrew. Asandame, who's you provianos fachim? And like your father Mario, you are. But oh, lo and behold, as an oligarch, as an autocrat... As a Rasputin-style figure within the New York State Democratic Combine, he cannot be destroyed. Remember Rasputin? Remember the story of Rasputin? How he became the beloved figure of the Tsarist and Tsarina's household because he somehow came up with a cure or at least a temporary remedy for the hemophilia that the uh, 
the their youngest son had, who was heir to the throne, and he could do no wrong in the eyes of the Tsarina. He was dirty, he was filthy, he was lewd. In fact, he was fornicating and copulating his way through the Tsarist's vast family and vast contacts. And people said, Tsar, you must do something about Rasputin. And he said, no, I can't. I can't or I'll lose this arena. And remember how many times they tried to poison Rasputin and they could not. And then ultimately they shot him multiple times. They stabbed him multiple times. They threw him in the river. And still Rasputin survived until he became room temperature. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the position that we are now with Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo. Because shock of all shocks earlier in this week... After he had attended a black church on Linden Boulevard just last Sunday. And we were talking about him the same time, same place. He is now just four points behind in a poll that was taken by Emerson College. In a one-on-one run versus crime wave Kathy Hochul. Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo is only four points behind. And I take you back to those statements that he made in the bully pulpit of that black church. Just last Sunday, when people laughed at him, they said, ha, 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 you cannot undo the damage that you have done, you perv of all pervs. But defiantly, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, under the guidance of his brother, Fredo, Chris Cuomo, and the recently released wartime consigliere of his, Pococo, said, oh, I'll know how to climb out of this crypt, this grave. And he set it off. My father, God rest his soul, used to say government is an honorable profession, but that politics can be a dirty business. Ah. Now, that is especially true today when this politics out there is so mean and so extreme. When even the Democratic Party chooses to cancel people that they have a disagreement with. Last February, several women raised issues about my behavior. Ah. As I said then, and as I say to you in this holy hall today, my behavior has been the same for 40 years in public life. He's been a perv. You have seen me many, many times, and that has been my behavior. You lich. But that was actually the problem. Because for some people, especially younger people, there's a new sensitivity. Oh. No one ever told me. I made them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I never sensed that I caused anyone discomfort. What? I was trying to do the exact opposite. But I've been called old-fashioned, out of touch, and I've been told that my behavior was not politically correct or appropriate. I accept that. I accept that. Mm. Social norms evolve, and they evolve quickly. Yes, yes, they do. And we are, and we're proud of the evolution. Ooh. It is progress. Yes. But I didn't appreciate how fast Ooh. their perspective changed. Mm. And I should have. No excuses. That's right. I am truly, truly sorry. Are you? I've apologized many times. Mm. And I've learned a powerful lesson, and I paid a very high price for learning that lesson. God isn't finished with me yet. Hallelujah. And every day, I ask him for his guidance to help me grow and to help me learn. Jesus, Jesus has anointed Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo making his comeback like Lazarus from the dead. 
And where do all these white politicians go whenever they need redemption? Not to a white Presbyterian or Methodist or Episcopalian audience. Not to a Roman Catholic white audience. But they always seem to find a black church, which is populated by elderly black women who are more than happy to forgive because, unfortunately, they've had to forgive a lot of people in their lifetime. And they know Cuomo. They remember his father, Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I. And they see within Andrew elements of Mario. And they believe that God is speaking to Andrew Evilized Cuomo, speaking in tongues. And now that Tish James, as I mentioned to her when she was here at Studio 77 earlier, Tish, you dropped out of the gubernatorial race. You were trailing barely, uh, badly. Crime wave Kathy Holcomb, uh, you dropped down. And all of those black women, those religious women who would have voted for you according to that poll decided they weren't going to vote for Tom Swazi. Who the hell is he? They can't even pronounce his name. And they weren't going to vote for a man whose complexion was a reflection of theirs, Jumani Williams, because he has the support of all the white hipsters and millennials. What do they know? Instead, they went for the tried and true name that they have lived with in their lifetime, Cuomo. And now he is just four points behind in the polls. And all of a sudden, all the prognosticators, all the so-called experts that said that Andrew Evilized Cuomo was dead and buried are saying, he's alive, he's alive, he has come back. And he wanted that black audience in Brooklyn. In Brownsville, never ran, never will, just across Linden Boulevard, just blocks from where I grew up in Canarsie to know the following. However, the truth is also that contrary to what my political opponents would have had you believe, nothing I did violated the law or the regulation. I said from the start that I would defend any allegation that anyone wanted to bring. But the political sharks in Albany smelled blood. Ah. And when the sharks smell blood, then they come. Jaws. And they exploited the situation for their political purpose. Of course. You're never at fault. It's always the sharks. You were the shark. Your shark of all sharks was Joe Pacoco, the leg breaker, who oftentimes would drive up to a political. He would open up the trunk of his car. He would say, hey, hey, psh, Fred, come here. Come here, Fred. Let's do a little walk and talk. You know, Andrew has sent me to have a conversation with you. Really? Yeah, yeah, come on. Let's walk and talk. Because you never know. The FBI forever busting Italians could be taking photographs of this. So Pococco would walk and talk. They would pick a park. And Pococco would explain to Fred, Fred, what can I do to convince you on behalf of Andrew Cuomo that you are wrong? Uh, can logically I explain that? Ideologically, is it damaging to you? And let's say that Fred stood his ground. Then Joe Pacoco, with permission from uh, his capo di tutti, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, would say, how much will this cost in monies that we need to appropriate for you so that you can spend it in your district? And let us just say that Fred says, you can't buy me And Joe Pacoco would take Fred over to his car, his muscle car, his GTO, open up the trunk, and he would say, Fred, I've never played baseball in my life. But look, I have a collection of Louisville Slugger bats. 
autographed by Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris. What's this one doing here with Bobby Richardson? That's lightweight. He'd throw that out and say, I got more than enough bats to make your kneecap sing and ring because what I am is a leg breaker. So now, Kabish, do you understand what I'm talking about? And Fred would say, oh, please don't hurt me, Joe. Joe, don't hurt me. So I knew we could do business. And then Joe Pacoco would get back in his muscle car, which got about a mile and a half. A high test, by the way. Not regular. And by the way, look at high test right now. It was, what, $10 a gallon? Thank you, President Joe Biden. But the point is, is that the Cuomo's are back. And he spent $2 million on propaganda advertising uh, that has raised his negatives and created positives where positives should not have been. And even Tish James herself, in a one-on-one with me, at the very time of the Ramsey Mazda Sunday with Sinatra, hosted by Joe Pacoco just hours ago, live from Studio 77, acknowledged, yes, he's running. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what are we to do? Do we just sit on the sidelines? Are we casual observers? Because so many of you are not hardcore Democrats. You're independents. You're free thinkers. You're libertarians. You're Republicans. You're conservatives. You're Trumpers. How many of you, though, feel that you have to do an intervention to prevent the return of Andrew Evilized Cuomo? Or is it not significant at all? Should this just be a matter for Democrats eating their own babies? Should Republicans and independents and libertarians and free-minded thinkers spare themselves of the blood that will result in this civil war that will take place? Either you're with the Cuomos or you're against them. I know how they talk. I have been their adversary for decades now, from the time of Mario to Andrew to Fredo. And to a man who is closer to uh, Mario than even Andrew or Chris Cuomo, Fredo, according to Andrew, who gave the eulogy for his father, Mario, who said, and Joe Pacoco was closer to Mario. He would never call his father, hey, dad, daddy, father. No, it's always Mario. Was closer to Mario than either I or Fredo. Ladies and gentlemen, should we sit on the sidelines? Should we watch the bloodshed and carnage and await the resurrection of Andrew Evilized Cuomo? Or do we need to do an intervention to save us here in the state of New York from the plague of another four years of Andrew Evilized Cuomo? I, I ask all of you, ladies and gentlemen of the New York State jury, many of you are opting out and saying, I recuse myself. I'm already on my way to Florida, Georgia, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. I recuse myself. But for those of you who have opted to improve and not move, who have not joined the exodus. Do we uh, fight for what we know is right and stop Cuomo? Or do we let him infect the Democratic Party and seek vengeance? Because you know, for every man and every woman in the Democratic Party who turn their back on Andrew Cuomo, there will be a day of revenge. When Andrew says, Joe, Fredo, it's time to settle all scores. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222.
Let's quickly go to Pete, who's calling from Newburgh, as I call Newburgh, New York, the Camden on the Hudson in Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hello, Curtis. My name for your show would be The Underside of Curtis, The Guardian of the Mind. Ooh, I like that. I like that. A little, a uh, few too, uh, too, too much verbiage, but give it to me one more time, Pete. Uh, what would it be? The underside of Curtis, the guardian of the mind. Hmm. The underside of Curtis, the guardian of the mind. How about the underbelly of Curtis? And uh, the guardian of the mindless and the soulless. And those who have the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms. How about that as an addendum, Pete? That's great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, Frosted Flakes, Tony the Tiger. It's great. Right, Pete? There you go. You got it. Pete, do me a you favor. Might, I, you I, might I, as well be the guardian of the night waves. I like that. But, Pete, I'm worried <laughs> for you. As you, I listen to you all the time, Curtis. Oh, I, 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 hope so. I hope so. But the, I know. You hear that all the time. Me, but me, you me. really should have been mayor. And yeah, I know that. But, I hey, have, what, what do you like? What do you like? What, what do you like to put salt in the wounds, Pete? My first call out of the box. Oh, you should have been mayor. I hear that all freaking day in the subways, in the streets, wherever I go. And people say, oh, I voted for you. And today I was in Throg's Neck for the annual no, St. No, Patrick's Day parade. That's right. You couldn't. <laughs> But I would have. If you were a Democrat, I, you could have voted for me for four straight times in Newburgh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Newburgh was one of the meanest little towns in the whole country. <laughs> that's right, and that's why I fear for you, Pete. Walking down Broadway after every Hugo Chavez, Maduro, Sitco station, that's right, all of a sudden they're going to be our friends. Oh, we love Venezuela. We love Maduro. Oh, we love the spirit of Chavez because we need their petroleum. Although before that, they were evil. No good. We needed to overthrow them. Regime change in Venezuela. Now all of a sudden, oh, it's like Barney. I love you. You love me. Don't be fooled by this political technology, ladies and gentlemen. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. I worry for Pete. Walking out there mindlessly, as sometimes he does along Broadway, subject to being mugged every block there in Newburgh. It's a mugger's delight. And most of those guys have been released from prison upstate Elmira, Attica, Damariah. And they go to a halfway house. And where do they send them to a halfway house? Of course, it's in Newburgh. And once they're there, they realize, hey, I'm the big fish in a really small pond here. I'm not going back to the Bronx or Brooklyn. Are you kidding? I got to fight those young bloods? No, 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 no. I think I'm going to park myself. I'm going to find me a home slice here. And then they walk around Orange County and they find a park. And then they see a single woman tending to the needs of her child. And they, they side up to her and they say, oh, you're such an outstanding mother. Such a beautiful child. And all of a sudden, she sees a knight in shining armor. Even though this guy's a thug right down to the marrow of his bone. And he plays lovey-dovey with her, and all of a sudden, it's a love nest. She invites him uh, to her uh, uh, government-subsidized pad. And the next thing you know, he ain't leaving. 
She said, hey, it's time for you to go. Uh, yeah, I see. You, you brought your homeboys up here from the Bronx. Man, come on. I don't want my child. Hey, it ain't your pad anymore. It's mine. What's yours is mine. And all of a sudden, you got double trouble in Newburgh. You see, that's how it happens. Oh, I'm worried about Pete. You might end up getting a shift right in the back there, right on Broadway. Hey, be careful, Pete. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Bob, who's calling from Patchogue. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bob. Curtis, I got some slogans for you. I got a long version. Oh. Yeah, I'll give it to you first. Oh, oh excellent. You excellent. ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Freed, freed from his cat cave at the stroke of midnight, the pirate of the high airwaves, the midnight marauder, Curtis Sliwa. Wow, that is a mouthful, Bob. All right, well, here's the short version. It's time for the Pirate of the High Airwaves, the Midnight Marauder, Curtis Sliwa. Ah, that's truncated. That's beautiful because, you know, the clock is ticking. Frank Morano had a hissy fit. Oh, you're going to have to change your name. And because his ratings have been extraordinarily high, higher than any person who has ever been on the overnight since uh, we... Uh, flipped from a spinning stack of wax top 40 at WABC to all talk. Now he's busting his buttons and bridges, and he's flexing, and he's acting like, no, no, you can't call yourself the other side of midnight, the weekend version. And so I got I to gotta come up with something that's satisfactory to the suits, to John and Margot Katsimatidis, to uh, Chad Lopez, and I got to come up with a lickety split. So, Bob, could you repeat once again your long version, please? Okay, freed from his cat cave. You live with a bunch of cats, so that's where that came from. At mm. the strike of midnight, the pirate of the high airwaves, the midnight marauder, Curtis Sliwa. That's the long one. Bravo, bravo, fortissimo. Now give me the truncated one, the shortened one. Okay, it's time for the pirate of the high airwaves, the midnight marauder, Curtis Sliwa. I feel like Johnny Depp there, the pirates of the Penzance. Yeah, that no. means I got to get all tatted up, right? No, no, no. I, I don't. Uh, my father said never. He had, no son of mine is ever going to have a tattoo, and he was a merchant yeah, I mean, seaman. Curtis, yes, you, I got an idea to raise money for your next run for office. Ooh, already, already, you want me to run? Go ahead. I want you to run, Curtis. You ready? Run, Curtis. Run. Go ahead. Okay. You know how in Spain every year they have the annual run with the bulls. Yeah, and I really wish that one year those bulls would have gored Spike Lee 40 acres and a mule when he was running around like Hemingway. I hear you. Anyway, with your history with cabs, between you getting a free lead vaccine from the guys in the back on, getting clipped on the way to an interview and your foot run over, how about the first annual Curtis Lee will run with the taxis? Wow, I like that. That is brilliant. You like it? We can get sponsors. We can sell T-shirts. What we do is we take off a block. we got 20 cabbies coming from both directions. But to make it fair, they're all going to be wearing masks. Eric Adams, the Blasio, AOC, with little slits so they can't see so good. And maybe they run. And we get, we got to get across that block. This... And you can either participate or sponsor. This... And we can sell T-shirts. Bumper stickers, coffee mugs, go for the whole nine yards. And the first annual Curtis Sleewer run with the taxis. You like it? Bob, not only do I like it, I want to add an addendum, which is the bookies on the side can actually take bets on which cab yeah. is going to clip yeah. me. Yes, yes. 
This is so good. And because, remember, I have disparaged the Ukrainian and Russian oligarchs, crooks that both of them are, that own most of the medallions of the yellow cab fleets in New York City. Right, right. Oh, wow, this would be so good because they would encourage those drivers. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So what do you think, Curtis? This, do it? this is brilliant. Once a year, like the, the running of the bulls. Annual, this is the first one. The, the first, first one. annual Curtis Lee will run with the tax. I have a feeling it'll be the first and the only one because I probably won't survive this. Well, I'm 75. I'm willing to go out here with you. How about that? Oh, wow. So this would be like demolition derby. Yeah, like I said, they're gonna have masks with little slits. You gotta have, they can't have the full advantage. We hope a lot of them will be running each other. We'll get through there. Oh we'll yeah, and then there. I could, I could, if I survive this. Well, look, come on, let's face it, Bob. I've survived how many marriages? Could this be any worse than all of those marriages? I don't think so, Curtis. Exactly. So. Exactly. I'm willing to take a chance that I could outrun any of these yellow cabs. That even if they clip me, I'll bounce off of one cab. Right. Onto the hood of another cab, onto the trunk of another cab, and somehow survive. That's right. I'm, well, wait a second. Hold on. Wait. There's a problem here, Bob. I'm like what, a cat what? with nine lives. I've already used eight of them. Hmm. I got one left. Well, it's up to you then. Yeah, but I'm not going to punk out. I'm not a punk. I'm like Zelensky. Right. I'm like Zelensky. Go ahead. Come on, oligarchs. Bring on your yellow cab medallions. That's it, Curtis. That's it. The money we'll make on T-shirts, bumper stickers. We can either have I Survived the First Annual Curtis Lee will run with a taxi or a proud sponsor of the Yes. Yes. I love this. I love this. And we'll do it. We'll do it right over there in Long Island City where all, all the, where all the barns are, where the cabs are stored overnight. This way they can get out into those streets and they can hunt me down. Right. right. I, lo- I love it. This is brilliant, Bob. All right. Now I got a boxing trivia question. Oh, boxing trivia question. Oh, so you reverse reverse osmosis on me. Go for it, Bob. Yeah, I'm going all over the place, Curtis. I'm like you, all right? Yes, yes. Gene Tooney, one of the best underrated heavyweights of all time, beat Jack Dempsey twice. That is right? correct. That is correct. Had the long count fight and everything. His record was 57-1. and one. Who was the one he lost to? Oh, uh, was the guy's name Willard? No, no. Hmm. Who did he lose to? It wasn't Jack Johnson. No, he lost to a guy who usually fought as a middle name. Wait, his name was Harry Grip, the Pittsburgh Windmill. Harry Grip, the Pitt- Grip, G R E B. He had two hundred ninety-nine fights. He won two hundred and sixty-one of them. In one year, he fought thirty-seven times and won thirty-four fights. He not only fought middleweights, but he fought light heavyweights and heavyweights. God, you are on fire. I would never, ever, ever have gotten that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Remember, we'll have to get sponsorship. Many of our advertisers, I'm sure... uh, uh, Trinity Rehab will definitely want to get in on this because I'm going to need it after I try to outrun yellow cabs. Like Spike Lee and Hemingway tried to outrun the bulls in Spain that they release once a year. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
Love this Jarrell song, right? Should be the theme song for Andrew Evilized Cuomo. That's what all the girls of Cuomo say. In fact, apparently he was texting and sexting to one of the suits at CNN. Would you like me to be your pool boy? And she said, well, of course. You can come on over anytime. She was doing a Mae West. This guy has chutzpah. This guy has huevos. This guy has culions. This is after he's been charged with being a perv. He's texting, would you like me to be your pool boy? And she's she's texting back, yeah, why don't you come on and see me sometime? I can use a pool boy. He's back with a vengeance. He's down in the polls, four points, to crime wave Kathy Hokum. Hokum because she's full of nonsense. And... He could beat her in a Democratic primary, no doubt about it, with Tom Swazi that nobody knows couldn't pick him out of the lineup. He's running to the right. And then uh, Jumani Williams, the ultra-radical, uh, who lives on Fort Hamilton, the active garrison. Believe it or not, he hates cops, he hates prisons, he hates government, he hates the military, but he lives in the safest place in all of New York City on an active garrison of the United States Army in Fort Hamilton. Figure that one out. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And in addition to all of that, uh, if you can, uh, by the way, you're the, you're the board operator for Frank Morano, aren't you? Well, why, why are you remaining anonymous here? You're, you're the same board operator. How do I know you're not sabotaging this show that leads into his first uh, other side of midnight at the start of the week tonight from 1 to 5. How do I know you're not? I want you to play that cut of Frank Morano again, who has put me in this situation where my back is against the wall, and I have to have a new name for this show by, by next Friday, when all of a sudden I begin my 20-hour marathon to actually prove that WABC, the acronym means always broadcasting Curtis. This may be the last time I play this song, Frank. Some of the listeners have wanted me to call the weekend segment of the other side of midnight another, give it another name, since it's different than yours. I, I agree. You're ruining our show's reputation. We work hard for this show. And don't need you uh, taking 13-minute calls from uh, uh, Mike in Manhattan about nonsense, about James K. Polk and how I don't talk enough about the Mexican-American War. Uh, pick a new name. Pick a new name, huh? So our listeners have been doing that fast and furiously by email, through social networking, Facebook, Instagram. Oh, yeah, even TikTok. Even TikTok. I got 130,000 followers on TikTok. Uh, most, uh, most of our listeners have no idea. They think TikTok. Isn't that what you take when you have bad breath? 1-800-848-9222. Let's see if we can go to... Uh, Gary, in Inwood, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Hello, Curtis. Uh, as far as the name of the show, that has a responsibility of being removed completely. George Norrie had on his show a week ago a gentleman who has a podcast and a following. He came up with that name 14 years ago. What name is that? I think, 
I think his name is McLogan, the other side of midnight. What? You mean yes, Frank Morano has purloined that, has has violated a copyright and a trademark? That's what I'm insinuating, but I don't have the legalities of how that works. I caught the end of George Nuri's show, and he had the gentleman on. And, and, you, and you know, I, I know why that would be. Ago. I know why that would be, Gary. It makes sense. George Nuri, who dominated the airwaves overnight, uh, especially in the aftermath of the demise of Art Bell, that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, George Norrie took over. And then our competition was, uh, what, Red Night Dragon or something? I forget what that was, Red Eye Express. It was the worst overnight program. It was a cumulus product. It was about truckers. Two guys in Dallas, Heckle and Jekyll, who agreed on everything. The most boring show ever, thank God, John Katsimatidis, who saved the station, then elevated Frank Morano to the other side of midnight. But now the Frank Morano is killing George Norrie in the ratings. I mean, really killing him. It would make sense that George Norrie would have this guy on to begin the process of trying to rob from Frank his name of the other side of midnight. You see, this is how the battles are waged amongst, uh, amongst uh, warrior nations because, look, WABC has always been at war with WOR, Women's Only Radio. They just uh, celebrated their 100th anniversary. What were they? Uh, they originated in Gimbel's, Bamberger's, uh, Bloomingdale's, on Broad and Market in Newark, you know, gambling one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or more. One year before WJZ in Newark, which was the original signal for WABC, our celebration is next year. And just so that you know how this station came about, Westinghouse had built a factory between um, Ironbound and Down Neck. Uh, oh, yeah, there's, uh, uh, there's a Polish church there. God, trying to remember there. I almost passed away from incense. You know, when, the tri- when all of a sudden the priest has the incense and he's blessing everybody, I nearly choked out. I had to, I had to get oxygen to survive the Casimirs. St. Casimirs is between... Uh, it's between the Ironbound section in Newark and Down Neck. And that's where the Westinghouse factory had been built. And they were building, uh, they were making radios. And they didn't have enough radio stations. So whoever owned Westinghouse at that time said, well, guess what? We'll create a radio station. And they did. And they put a chicken coop up on the roof. They had their first broadcast. And in order to get up on the roof, you didn't go through the factory. You had to climb a ladder on the outside of the factory. And that's how WABC started as WJC. And then a year later, they moved here to 34th Street in New York. Meantime, for the first time in overnight history, we have destroyed WOR Women's Only Radio. I give most of the credit of Frank Morano, but this is where the chasm is taking place because ever since I came on when I lost the mayoral election to Eric Adams, it was, what, a week later? And I did the uh, other side of midnight, the weekend version, and the rating soared for the entire week. Now, you would think I'm entitled to at least credit for two of the, of the seven days, right? Oh, no, no, Frank said, oh, no, it's only Monday through Friday. And so that's what's drawn us to this situation. And the immediacy and the fact that I have to come up with a new name. The pressure is on, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank all of those who have made suggestions. Those of you who've texted. Those of you who've sexted. Yeah, there were two of them who tried that. 
Uh, boy, that, that, that was really nasty. And the rest of you who have come up with a tremendous uh, array of uh, excellent suggestions, it will not be mine alone. It will be a confab. John and Margot Casamantinas, the owners of our parent station, Red Apple Media, the Tutti, uh Chad Lopez, our general manager, and a whole host of others, uh, half of whom I don't even know, that will ultimately make that decision so that when I come back next Friday night going into uh, Saturday morning, we will have a brand new name, all because of that rat, Frank Morano. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jay, the natty boy, in uh, on Vine Street over the Rhine in Cincinnati. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Hey, Curtis. We're about 40 or 50 years behind you guys. How about getting a tricked-out Rambler station wagon? We'll put some surfboards on top, and you'll be the Midnight Rambler. Oh, I like that. I like that, and it would be a tricked-out Mitt Romney daddy, his daddy, George Romney, created the Rambler. Yes. And do you know in what city the Rambler was first uh, introduced off of the production line? Uh, wasn't it up in Wisconsin somewhere? Yes, or? yes. Oh, very good. Very good. You're very astute. You're very cogent. Yes. And hey, it we'll, is- get some, we'll get some smoking hot babes like Rita Cosby and Molly and I'll drive the Rambler wagon around, and we'll give out bumper stickers. Yes, and on one bumper sticker on one side, it has to have a political, ideological theme. Don't blame me, I voted for Sliwa. So that'll be on one side. And then the other side will be the new theme, the new theme of whatever the suits pick for the name of my show on the weekends. Sounds great, man. The Stones got the Midnight Rambler. That'll be your theme song. Yeah, I like that. I like because that was my favorite group. As you know, I didn't like the Beatles. I was not a Beatles guy. I was a Stones guy, and then the Who, and then of course, Stairway to Heaven. As I played it backwards over and over and over, and said, "What is the true intimate meeting of we'll Stairway?" We'll trick it out. We'll trick it out. We'll put an Earl Shrive paint job on it. And uh, it'll be sweet looking. Oh, I remember Earl Scheib, 1999, and you get a total paint job. <laughs> 1999. Oh, this this will be great. Jay, you're a promotional machine. You are the Swifty Lazar. And I'll volunteer my driving services. Oh, you better, because uh, I don't have a license. Oh, okay. And I failed my driving test four times. <laughs> four times. Man, what happened? Parallel parking. Okay. Parallel parking did me in. And back then in the 60s, I had long hair. So I looked like a hippie. And, you know, the guys who would give you your test at the Department of Motor Vehicles, they were like, you know, crew cut guys, you know, all American guys. They're eyeballing me down. Are you a hippie? No, I just have long hair. And so I couldn't parallel park. So right away they're looking down at the uh, the seat there to see if there's any dead presidents that have been put there for their benefit. Uh-huh. And you know me, I don't grease anybody. No way. So I would not grease the inspector, and so they would fail me. Now, it's true, I did not know how to parallel park. Uh, it was like, for me, bumper cars uh, when I was trying to parallel park. I was in bumper cars in uh, Coney Island. But they were looking to get greased, and I was not going to grease them. I had lots of driving permits. 
of which I abused and started driving around, you know, daytime, not nighttime, because that's when you get clipped by the cops with a driving permit. You're supposed to have somebody by your side. And I remember at a time, oh, this, oh, so nefarious of me. I had a mannequin sitting next to me, a guy, a guy mannequin sitting next to me. So it always looked like there was an adult next to me while I was driving around in an Olds Rocket 88. Sweet. I like it. See? See, there was yeah. that nefarious side to Curtis Lewa. Out here in Natty, man, it's a lot easier to park. We don't have that traffic you guys got. I'm telling you, and then there's that symbol in Cincinnati. If you've ever gone to Cincinnati, downtown Natty, you see the Procter & Gamble sign. Because that is the corporate entity, Procter & Gamble. They have their own police department. They issue their own coupons. They produce most of the products on the supermarket shelves, the staples that you all depend on. And then you look at that symbol and you say, that's satanic. And all the people in Natty says, well, that's how we get our paycheck. While naturally, what are they eating at that time? <laughs> and the only thing they make in Cincinnati. Let's see if anybody out there can answer that trivia. What is the only thing they serve you in Cincinnati, whether it's a five-star restaurant, whether it's a diner, whether it's a dive, or whether it's a fast-food restaurant? What is the only food that is synonymous with Cincinnati? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's see if we could go to Charlie. Charlie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charlie. Curtis, remember a long time ago when you were in L.A. on Melrose and Western, you had to run in with the gang, and then the cops came and gave you like a wooden shampoo, remember? Yeah, boy, you remember that? Yeah, I remember, yeah, I have a good memory. Man, I, 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 <laughs> let, let me let me uh, recap it for everybody who may not be aware. This was in the crackdown on crack. This was in the 80s, and the Guardian yeah. Angels had been summoned to Melrose. Right now, very trendy. You know, they, Mel, oh, Melrose, all the hipsters and millennials. right? But back then, MS-13 ruled Melrose. And these guys were like slitting throats, and they were battling the Mexicans because they were from El Salvador, and they were actually winning. So the people said, hey, let's bring in the Guardian Angels. And we went to war against them. And so the first day, we're, we're, we're facing off with MS-13. And I walk into the middle of the street to challenge them, and LAPD said, hey, Get to the sidewalk. They gave me a ticket for $100. Big. Jaywalking. Big there. You know, you could kill somebody in the middle uh, middle of Weston, right? Uh, Weston. And you would not get as much time as you get for jaywalking. So then, then all of a sudden, I get blamed because, well, some MS-13 guy, uh, apparently he fell and he broke both of his legs. And some people were claiming that I did it. When, in fact, it was a rogue cop who had done it, who got so frustrated because he wasn't able to do anything. He broke this guy's legs and all the MS-13 guys, none of them could say any word in English, not a word in English. But they all had memorized Sleewa, Sleewa. So LAPD said, who did this? Sleewa. <laughs> and they jammed me up, and there I was in L.A. County Jail, supposedly because I broke both legs of this uh, this shot caller for MS-13. Now, would it strike you, Charlie, that I would be a leg breaker? Come on, Charlie. No, no way. 
Well, but, but that, that that brings me to the reason of my call yes. because I was thinking about that, and that inspired my new name for your show, hmm. Radio Shampoo. <laughs> I love that. I love that Radio like Shampoo. That? There's only, yeah, but but there's only one problem with that. There's only what? one problem. I have in I, my I mind, I have in my mind that most people are not going to know that that's synonymous with a wooden shampoo, of which I've yeah, gotten many. Yeah, I know. I know. They're going to think the they're going to think one of the worst movies of all time, Shampoo with Warren Beatty. Where, yeah, yeah, where he's a hairdresser. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing for insiders. It's a great name, but if you're not an insider, if you don't know the stories and your your, your colloquialisms, then yeah, it's, I mean, it's not that great. That- that had to be shampoo, and I think also Dustin Hoffman was in it. Ooh, great actor, but I think Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman and shampoo maybe was the worst movie of all time, other than the John Gotti movie starring Twinkle Toes, uh, John Travolta. <laughs> I never saw either of them. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, well, your memory—you gotta, you gotta use an etcher sketch. You don't remember me breaking uh, MS-13 legs there on Western and Melrose. You forgot all about it, Charlie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never never happened. Remember, there's no statue of limitation when it comes to that. Never heard of it. You know what they'll do with me? They'll they'll lock me up based on what you just said, right? They'll extradite me from New York. It was a dream I had. Exactly. Yeah, but you know something? You let the cat out of the bag. So they'll extradite me from New York to L.A., and they'll put me in the same cell as Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) You know, he's awaiting trial there, and they just busted him because he had hidden milk duds underneath his mattress. Milk duds. <laughs> wow. Didn't matter that he raped he raped women. He had a casting couch. The worst violation he had in L.A. County Jail, which is a gang jail, is that they found yeah. milk duds underneath well, wait, his wait, mattress. Wait, wait, you know, people, people kill for candy in jail and cigarettes and stuff. <laughs> milk duds. Yeah, yeah, but, but Curtis, that's serious. You know, p- people killed for candy. And no, that's, that's true. That, what they killed for when I first got locked up was uh, menthol cigarettes, Newports. Oh. Oh, not, not, not Marlboro Reds, not Chesterfields, not, you know, normal cigarettes. It had to be menthols, Newports. The brothers would kill you for, uh, for oh. a Lucy. A Newport. You better find a menthol Lucy real quick or they, or, you might have been found like Jeffrey Epstein, supposedly committing suicide. That's still probably the case, though, isn't it, Curtis? No, they don't let you smoke in jail. You got to sne- you got to sneak a smoke. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it started in San Francisco <laughs> County many, many years ago. Everyone thought you'll never be able to impose that. Now, guys, obviously, sneak a smoke, but you can't smoke what? like you used to be able to in prison or jail because uh, they created none, no smoking atmosphere. Yeah, I didn't know that. You know, Curtis. You know why I remember that story is because I, for ten years, I lived in that neighborhood. Yeah, we we had an all-out war. We, they were throwing Molotov yeah. cocktails into our our headquarters. In fact, it's amazing uh, that you remember all that because I'm thinking to myself, you know, in places that still have a death penalty, you know, like Texas or Florida, or Georgia, or Oklahoma, or Arkansas, they won't let you smoke. If it's your last wish, right? You know, you can get a barrel of Kentucky Fried Chicken, your last meal. But if you say, could I have a last smoke? No, it's bad for your health. And then before they give you the injection, you know, the lethal injection, 
They, you know, they say yeah. wipe you with alcohol. Why are they wiping you with alcohol? You're going to be dead in 10 minutes. Well, you know, you might, you might get infected there. Boy, that's crazy. That's almost, that, that's almost like the same logic as wearing the mask when you're driving alone in your car. You yes. Know yes. You know, same kind of person. Anyway, I appreciate that, Charlie, the memories. And if you're listening from L.A. County, forget what he said. I can end up with Jeffrey. I mean, with Harvey Weinstein. The guy got more time added to his sentence for being found with contraband, milk duds, than he he got for raping young aspiring actresses on the casting couch. Is this a crazy world or what? And I could be arrested for what Charlie just said because that so-called crime was never resolved of the MS-13 guy with two broken legs. It claimed he fell off a roof. I was on a roof at that time. I, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I, so long ago I forgot. You know, I've been hitting the head so many times. It's like dementia. For something like that, they would come and take me away and change in shackles. Harvey Weinstein gets found with milk duds, contraband in jail. Oh, give him six more months. He could have he could have killed another inmate, but no, no problem. No, <laughs> this is this criminal justice system is so off the hook, so crazy. Anyway, let's go to uh, Brian in Westfield. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Oh, hi. Uh, I got a, a name for your uh, show. I, I'm sure Frank Morano probably wouldn't like it, but The Better Side of Midnight. The Better Side of Midnight. Yeah. Now, okay, I'll tell you what. Are, are you drowning there? Are you like chicken of the sea? No, you... I, Charlie no, the no, Tuna? I just had to I turned off the... Uh, the, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it now, the uh, speakerphone. Oh, so you, oh, so you were calling us on a freaking speakerphone. We, well, weren't, phone, we, weren't, we weren't good enough for you to just take <laughs> the phone and, oh, you had to be a lazy, lazy boy guy and have us on <laughs> speakerphone. That's what you think of my show, Brian? No, I'm listening and waiting to, to, for my name, and then I turn it off and... You know, talk to you. No, no. Let me tell you something. Every one of you had better be attentive. You better stay wide-eyed and bushy-tailed awake. I found one guy in the wee hours of the morning who fell asleep on me. And I have since. And that was just a few hours ago. I'm traumatized. That's why think of me like Red Bull. I'm going to amp you up. You may never sleep another hour in your life. And remember, there'll be plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. And if you're Curtis Sleeper, I could have him right after the show. You know something? Whoever replaces me, you'll listen to them and say, oh, uh, he's a jolly good fellow that nobody can deny. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Sliwa, 77 WABC.
Oh, top 40 with a Kalishnikov bullet in Moscow. This is the Putin song when they play it in the seven towers of Stalin that I've been to. They all built the same way. They've all been converted into discos and casinos. When they play this song, everybody better get up and dance or you'll have a Kalishnikov bullet in the back of your head. This is how they worship. Worship Vladimir Putin. He is their Mashiach. He is their God. He is their iconic figure. He has been described as messianic. He has been described of late by those who were wrong about everything that Putin had said he would do and they said he wouldn't do it. As somebody who has mesmerized his nation and has brought back the era of the Tsar without the Fabergé egg. Where are the Fabergé eggs? And I'm thinking of this headline now that that Udiscraziana, that Shanda Tom Brady has said, Oh, guess what? Psych! I'm not retired. I'm coming back to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I remember when it was uh, Brady and the Brady Bunch and Coach Belichick, owned by Robert at Degenerate Craft. Hey, Hey, kimchi girl, give me a little rub and tug, little rub and tug for nineteen ninety nine, like an Earl Shy paid job. There's a billionaire, right? He's paying nineteen ninety nine for a rub and tug and a strip mall in Palm Beach County, and he got away with it. Remember that famous day was twenty thirteen, and in the Kremlin, who was visiting uh, Vladimir Putin? But yes, Robert Kraft. And remember, in tow was Coach Belichick and, yes, Tom Brady and the Brady Bunch. And Vladimir Putin came up to Robert Kraft and he said, oh, that ring. Could I see that ring? And Robert Kraft took off his Super Bowl ring and he showed Vladimir Putin. Vladimir inspected it and took it. And Robert Kraft said, are you going to give me my ring back? He said, no. What are you going to do about it? You're in Russia. And Kraft was like hemming and hawing and having a hissy fit. And Tom Brady comes over and said, boss, this is Russia. He's the boss. But I want my ring back. I want my ring back. So naturally now that Tom Brady has decided he's retired, no, he's not retired. Look, if you had to be married to that Bunchen or whatever the hell that Brazilian bombshell model is who's a real domineering diva, you'd probably want to get back on the gridiron yourself rather than spend time in a $30 million mansion somewhere off Singer Island. Now, ladies and gentlemen, even though that's a headline story, that does not compare to the many... Uh, the many opin written fast and furiously, the many commentators who were wrong about the war in, uh, in Ukraine. You know, they said, no, 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 Putin would not go to war in the Ukraine. He was all, this was all, he was going to fake us out because he just wanted to pump up the, the price of a barrel of petroleum. Well, he did, he, he did invade the Ukraine, and he's bombing the hell out of the Ukraine. So everybody who said, oh, no, he would never do that, now all of a sudden they're experts on Vladimir Putin himself. Remember what they said originally about Vladimir Putin. He's smart, he's savvy, he's crafty, you know, he knows how to manage things. Now they have stories that say that when he went into sanctuary, 
to avoid becoming infected with the coronavirus at the time of the lockdown uh, and the pandemic in March of 2020 in that billion-dollar mansion he had built for himself between St. Petersburg, the city of his birth, and Moscow, that all of a sudden he was being guided not by a board of apparatchiks, sycophants, toadies, and lackeys, but by a Rasputin who was giving him cauliflower. So that's one story in today's news, because certainly Putin himself would not have done this. Now I'm reading another commentator who is saying, look, this erratic behavior of Vladimir Putin is the result of roid rage. Look at him. He's become a gigantor. He has a brain disorder. He's flexing all the time. His deltoids, his traps... He has a medical condition. Look at him, shirtless, riding on that horse. Look at him as he practices his judo, his hockey. He wrestling a Russian bear. He has dementia. He has Parkinson's disease. Remember, like Muhammad Ali, like Janet Reno, like Yasser Arafat. He's bloated. He wears a full hazmat suit when he goes into public. All of these stories... All because he invaded the Ukraine. Before that, oh, no, Vladimir Putin, not at all. In fact, he's smart, he's savvy, he's crafty. Now, all of a sudden, he's a crackpot, he's crazy, he's suffering roid rage, dementia, Parkinson's disease. They know nothing about nothing. You know all of these commentators? And these men and women with parchments from their Ivy League schools, they are intellectually stupid. And yet, you can't get enough of them. Oh, God. Oh, I got to listen to the expert with Dominic Carter tonight or Rita Cosby or Frank Morano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, they're an expert. What makes them an expert? They can tell you anything. You know, I'm General So-and-so. How do you know that he wasn't running a warehouse in Moldavia? And oh, oh, general, oh, yeah, let's, people get up and salute them. They hear a general, right? They get up out of their seat and say, how do you know he's a general? He could say anything. And you saw, he put a map up there. Oh, look, you see, this is where the Russian troops are going. I'm saying to myself, this is nuts. And ladies and gentlemen, there was a journalist who spent quite a bit of time with Vladimir Putin. Maybe a little too much time, if you know what I mean. Remember when she was riding high on her horse at the Fox News Channel? In fact, she was doing so well, Roger Ailes decided to replace the rock-ribbed all-American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island, Sean Hannity. Remember? They knocked him out of his 9 o'clock slot at night, and I think he was on uh, at 11 o'clock at night because of Megyn Kelly. Well, Megyn Kelly, to her credit, did go over and did have a series of interviews with Vladimir Putin. And she recently shared some of those observations, not on American TV, where she's persona non grata, but on British TV. Listen to what she said about the three faces of evil of the man we know as Vladimir Putin. He is whatever he thinks you want him to be. So he is a former KGB agent and he studied, you know, how to how to manipulate people, how to affect people. And so he knew that I was the, a mother of three young children. And one of the first things he mentioned to me was his relationship with his mother and how much he loved his mother and what it was like when he was a little boy. And clearly he's trying to butter me up, right? He's trying to win favor and very smiley and very polite. 
and a, a total gentleman, right? When I'm talking to him behind the scenes. What I learned from that is that uh, Megyn Kelly, who's very astute, determined that, in fact, the Vladimir Putin she first spoke with was a Mama Luke. Loves his mother like our own Frank Morano, a real Mama Luke. Yeah, you heard what she said. Can I hear that again? Uh, again, I, I I weaned from her initial interpretation of her first sit down with Vladimir Putin that he, in fact, was like Frank Morano, a real Mama Luke. He is whatever he thinks you want him to be. So he is a former KGB agent and he studied, you know, how to how to manipulate people, how to affect people. And so he knew that I was a mother of three young children. And one of the first things he mentioned to me was his relationship with his mother and how much he loved his mother and what it was like when he was a little boy. And clearly he's trying to butter me up. Right. He's trying to win favor and very smiley and very polite and a, a total gentleman. Right. When I'm talking to him behind the scenes. You know, even serial killers, you ask their mother. And they'll say, I love him. He couldn't have done it. I know my son. A mother finds no fault with their son or their daughter. Well, their daughter, yes. Because <laughs> daughters and mothers don't get along. But the, the son, oh, the son is priceless. But then Megan Kelly said she saw a different ufach, a different face of Vladimir Putin the second time she was in his company. And then... Um, Prime Minister Modi of India came and the three of us sat down and had tea and sort of a little, a little I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it. They told me it was going to be a steak dinner, so I wore a saucy dress. Paul, it wasn't, was not a steak dinner. <laughs> Anywho, um, it was just the three of us. <laughs> this yeah, is awkward. You got a hot dog, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, in front of Modi, he was a little bit more of like the paternalistic, like a little chauvinistic man, like, oh, look at you. We won't even be able to concentrate on the questions tomorrow. He wasn't trying to compliment me. He was trying to put me down. He was trying to like put me in my place. You know, again, another manipulation. And the second face of Vladimir Putin, but it doesn't stop. It gets better. Megyn Kelly then saw a third face of the man we know as Vladimir Putin. And then when I had him on stage and I was really getting in his grill, in particular about Syria, Joy, hi, run the tape. Um, he was angry and he was like in my face. So he's whatever he wants to be on whatever he thinks you need him to be in the moment. The male version of Sybil, multiple personalities, right? So to all those prognosticators, to all those commentators, so-called experts, you've been wrong about everything, everything, including over the weekend, that snow bomb, that nor'easter that was supposed to paralyze us on Saturday. You couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. Haven't heard one apology from any of them yet. Why do we continue to go back to the well and listen to these fake, phony, fraudulent commentators and self-appointed experts when they really know nothing about nothing? Let me lay it out for you about Vladimir Putin. He's an easy read. He's not complicated. Let's see. He had an Islamic fundamentalist problem in Chechnya. He flattened the city, Grozny. He flattened it. And we all applauded it. Yay! Getting rid of those Al-Qaeda-influenced, ISIS-influenced, Islamic uh, fundamentalists. Yay! You know, quietly, of course. We didn't want to do it publicly. But there was no objections here in America or in NATO or the U.K. Like, oh, my God, you flattened that whole city to take out maybe 10% of the city that was Islamic fundamentalists? 
And then there was Aleppo. Remember Aleppo? Boom! They dropping uh, uh, nail bombs in barrels. I mean, they were dropping all kinds of ordnance on Aleppo. They flattened Aleppo and Syria. In fact, that's what caused the uh, Libertarian Party candidate to lose his momentum, the former governor of New Mexico was smoking too many ropes of dopes uh, as uh, too many libertarians do. Remember, he was moving up in the polls against uh, Trump and Hillary at the time because people were dissatisfied with them. What do you think of Aleppo, huh? What? what? Aleppo, you know, in Syria, you know, the one that Putin has flattened. Did we object to Putin flattening Aleppo? Hell no, because ISIS would say, yay, quietly, of course, not publicly. Yay, get get ISIS. Get those Al-Qaeda guys, they're bad. Do what Obama wouldn't do. He called them the JV. You do the dirty work. Yay, Vladimir Putin, right? And then all those refugees as a result of flattening. Oh, we don't want those Chechens. We don't want those Syrians. Hell no. We're not. Put up a wall. No, no, we don't want them. And so all of a sudden he uses the same tactics in the Ukraine. The same tactics he's used before. Oh, he's evil. He's lost control of his mind. He's berserk. He's unstoppable, uncontrollable. Now, he's the same Vladimir Putin. It's just that now, hey, we like these Ukrainians. They look like us. They act like us. In fact, let's go to the audio tape. There was an Irish lassie in the European Parliament, reminded me of Bernadette Devlin, stood up to NATO, stood up to America. And right before March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, right before I marched today in the annual St. Patrick's Frog's Neck Parade in the Neck, this is what she had to say about our beloved America. There's no doubt about it, we're living in times of catastrophic crisis where the lives of innocent civilians are sacrificed in the wars of their masters. Yes, in Ukraine, but not only. Since the last plenary, tens of thousands of Afghani citizens have been forced to flee in search of food and safety. Five million children face famine, an agonizing and painful death, a 500% increase in child marriages and children being sold just so they can survive, and not a mention of it, not here, not anywhere. No wall-to-wall TV coverage, no emergency humanitarian response, no special plenaries, not even a mention in this plenary, no Afghani delegations and no statements. My God, they must be wondering What makes their humanitarian crisis so unimportant? Is it the colour of their skin? Is it that they're not white? They're not European? That their problems come from a US gun or a US invasion? Is it that the decision to rob their country's wealth was taken by a despotic US president rather than a Russian one? Because, my God, all wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. I think she had a few shots of Jameson before she gave that speech at the European Union. Oh, my God. Man, she was talking from the belly of the beast. I had images, flashbacks of Bernadette Devlin. That's right, the socialist. First member of the House of Parliament Commons from Northern Ireland who is a Roman Catholic. 
You remember Bernadette Evelyn back in the 60s? Oh, she was all over 60 Minutes. She was the darling uh, of our American media. Wow, this woman was getting... I don't know if I'd go along with everything she said, but hey, in a way, she was blaming Joe Biden, our president. Remember the experts said, oh, it'll take many months for the Taliban to take over Kabul. Many months. Oh, no, no, no. Took them what, like a week? (laughs) A week. All of a sudden, pulling our troops out of there. Like, oh, wait a second. Citizen, they're hanging on to the C-40 transports. They're falling off. Uh, Not our finest hour. And we don't even talk about them. They were supposed to all be starving to death by now, right? Whatever happened to those Afghans, right? What happened in Ethiopia? They were having a civil war there. We gave that guy the Nobel Peace Prize the year before. Now he's slicing people's heads off their, off their shoulders. What happened to their starvation? Well, we go on a news cycle that is frantic. All of a sudden, it's death and destruction. It's famine. It's total annihilation, and then you never hear of the people anymore. It's like, whatever happened to them? Well, it's not in the news cycle, please. You can't interrupt. It's all about the Ukraine. And, oh, yeah, there was the Iranian shot some rockets at us in Iraq. Iraq, weapons of mass destruction, regime change. Don't get me started. But Vladimir Putin, he's evil. Isn't he just doing what we've always done? Regime change? Think of it. Momar Gaddafi, right? Oh, he was our enemy. Remember Ronald Reagan? Momar, I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. And those F-14s, uh, remember, went in there and <laughs> wiped them out. Then all of a sudden he became our friend. Oh, it's like Barney. I love you. You love me. We love Momar. And Bush 43 said, Momar, why don't you just give up your nukes? No problem, Bush 43. Would you like some of my concubines? And then all of a sudden he was evil again. Hillary Rodham Clinton, he's evil. We gotta destroy him, no fly zone. And then remember some Libyan guy wearing a New York Yankee cap had a twenty two, put it up his Hershey Highway, shot one time. There goes Momo Gaddafi. Uh, did we do a good job in Libya? Did we destabilize Libya with a regime change? And then it was Syria. Remember, there was New York Times magazine said we could do business with Bashir Assad. There was our Secretary of State, John Kerry, laughing with him, having dinner with Bashir Assad. He's a good man. Barbara Walters did that exclusive interview, told all of us, Bashir Assad, his wife is Western. She's Americanized. He's a good man. He's an ophthalmologist like Rand Paul. Oh, my God. And suddenly he was Hitler, Bashir Assad, regime change. It's like, stop, I'm getting vertical. We, we, we took out Saddam Hussein. Is Iraq better? We took out Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Is Libya better? We took out Mubarak in Egypt. Is Egypt better? We have a worse totalitarian dictator there, Sazi, with all those medals on his chest. We're out of our minds here. And now... Because Vladimir Putin decides to do regime change. Evil. Hitler. And who who are we talking to now? We're talking to Venezuela. Oh, I know, I know. We tried to destabilize you. We tried to overthrow you, Chavez. Then Maduro. We talked about how Maduro goes to the gravesite of Chavez and talks to a bird. He's so out of his mind, he talks to a bird in order to communicate and channel uh, Chavez. You believe that propaganda? It's all propaganda on our part. 
We tried an insurrection. We tried regime change in Venezuela. But now we need their oil. Oh, Maduro, we forgive, we forget, no problems. We just need your oil. Iran, right? The Ayatollahs, oh, evil. They've just shot rockets at us in Iraq, right? They said, yeah, that was our rockets. You know, let bygones be bygones. We need your oil. And the Saudis who won't even answer the calls of President Joe Biden because they Khashoggi'd Khashoggi. They were evil. Now, oh, we need your oil. You know, we ought to look at ourselves before we start criticizing everybody else. Let's see. We did a really good job in uh, Iraq, flattening everything. Afghanistan, flattening everything. Syria, flattening everything. Ah, how to get that off my chest? Because we so want to believe our own propaganda, and we don't want to believe the other side's propaganda. I'm the person who says, let me listen to all the nonsense coming from both sides and try to cherry-pick what might, in fact, be real, as opposed to self-serving. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Steve, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis. Curtis, I completely agree with you. I, I, I learned to do exactly what you just said. Let's listen to both sides and then make up my own mind, all right? Because the so-called experts, not the wizards, are smart. Here's an example, all right? Let's go back to the Andrew Cuomo situation, what's been going on there now for about a year, year and a half. Andrew is part of that Clintonista, slightly left of center wing of the party. Remember, he's Bill and Hill's guy. That's why they pushed him out, the radical left, which is in charge of the party. Now, that's why he and along with Hill are trying to claw their way back in. That's what you see happening. Tish James is on the other side, the other side being led by, of course, Biden and Harris, Pelosi, uh, Sanders, backed by Soros. So there's a fissure in the Democratic Party. Again, you won't hear this from the other commentators, but that's the fissure in the Democratic Party between the radical left running the party now and the slightly left of center. Manchin and Cinema would probably fit more with the slightly left of center, but I think they're a little uncomfortable with both. What the hell is he talking about? I was on a roll there, right? I was on a roll. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, he's giving me Democratic Party vertical. I'm like, what? He killed it, man. You know, he killed my thing there. I was like on a roll, and then this guy from Jersey emerges, and he just killed it. I mean... I was going to win a Marconi Award. <laughs> he killed it right there. It's like, he really took what I was saying super seriously. You know, he like, hey, I, I could do a Curtis Lee too. No, 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 no. Theater of the mind. Let's go, if we can, to Stan. Calling in a place that I lived that I regretted ever living in, Forest Hills. Uh, hey, I used to see you in the street. Yeah, you I know. I used to uh, see you. Right. And you used to give there. out your card. Which oh, you everybody gets a uh, Curtis Sleeper card. I wish it was a dragnet card, you know, a current detective, but that's okay. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is the history of the United States in all battles all the time over the last 200 years. Okay, now let me first of all tell off this woman, this beautiful sounding Irish woman. Uh, does she have dementia? Does she remember a little place called Northern Ireland? 
What did the United States gain from that? Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. It, we, we helped settle that little piece thing. Did she forget about that? Or should be, uh, did the dementia eat up her brain? Now, Afghanistan, 20 years of that. What did we gain from it? Nothing. Did we put money into it? Yeah. Uh, the cocaine and the dope moved. What did we gain, Curtis? Nothing. And I don't blame Joe Biden for taking our asses and getting the hell out of here. Because it only proved that even, yes, the tragedy of those 13 dying, that we were wrong anyway because they were right over there, the, the uh, ISIS or whoever they were. That they, they were unbelievable. If we had waited, it would have been worse. He got us out. I'm glad. Now, Stan, let us go back to the Irish Colleen in the <laughs> okay. belly of the European Union pit. Right. She was speaking the other day. Her, her freckles were shining. <laughs> the Colleen was angry. She reminded me of the anger of Bernadette Devlin when he first, she first spoke in the House of Commons. And they said, how dare you, you wench? There's no doubt about it. We're living in times of catastrophic crisis where the lives of innocent civilians are sacrificed in the wars of their masters. Yes, in Ukraine, but not only. Since the last plenary, tens of thousands of Afghani citizens have been forced to flee in search of food and safety. Five million children face famine, an agonizing and painful death, a 500% increase in child marriages and children being sold just so they can survive, and not a mention of it, not here, not anywhere. No wall-to-wall TV coverage, no emergency humanitarian response, no special plenaries, not even a mention in this plenary, no Afghani delegations and no statements. My God, they must be wondering What makes their humanitarian crisis so unimportant? Is it the colour of their skin? Is it that they're not white? They're not European? That their problems come from a US gun or a US invasion? Is it that the decision to rob their country's wealth was taken by a despotic US president rather than a Russian one? Because, my God, all wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. Stan, that's an ally. That's one of our allies. That's not my ally. Well, well, let's, let's, here it is. 20 years, Afghanistan with the Where was their government for 20 years? Why didn't their government help their people? Where were they? We tried to do what did we what did we steal the country? We got our asses out of there. What is she talking about? Power with the kids and so forth? For twenty years the military were there, the longest war in our history, and we lost it. We lost it because the Afghanis couldn't fight it. So are we to blame for the, all the tragedies that happened? My, that lady needs to go back and read history. Again, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. We work with our enemies. We had the Germans come to the United States and help us with nuclear power, and we weren't supposed to take them in. This world is what it is. You have to realize the American flag has, it's not all, you know, star-spangled banner. There's a lot of dirty stuff going on to keep the United States the way it is. Now, now Stan, I, I understand your frustration and your anger. Not anger. <laughs> but that was from our ally. Oh, well, and that's her problem. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Let no, wait, 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 wait. You know, I don't totally exclude everything she says. 
Well, what is what is it that you agree with? We've we've forgotten all about the plight of the Afghans that we abandoned there. Let's face it, there is uh, mass starvation there. We don't even think about it anymore. We're we're mind my mindset is the Ukrainians. That's it, the Ukrainians. No, it's not. Forget it's not. the Afghans. Hey, you know what the hell? It's third Curtis, world country. Curtis, you know? Curtis, we was there for twenty years. Are you there, Curtis? Yeah, we I'm was there for here. twenty years, Curtis. That isn't ten minutes. We tried that that government. The people, the uh, did nothing for twenty years. Is that our fault? They're jerga. Remember, they they go to their jerga. <laughs> the ripoff artists, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Exactly right, Sabu. That's right. Sabu. That's right. But <laughs> you know something? You would have thought, Stan, that we would have learned from the Russians who invaded Afghanistan. Remember, Jimmy Carter said to Brezhnev, "You invaded Afghanistan. You will pay, Brezhnev." We will boycott the Olympics. Ooh, 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 ooh. We will not export our grain to you. Ooh, ooh. And so the Russians went in there, and they took over Afghanistan, and then they got their asses kicked, and they were out of there, right? But no, America, we do it better. We're not going to learn from those stinking Russians, right? And we got our ass kicked, and we had to leave with our tail between our legs. They did. We did. And now, look, this Vladimir Putin flattening cities in the Ukraine, just like he's always done. And we're shocked. We're surprised. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oh, this will stop Vladimir Putin. We don't need no thoughts control. This will stop Belarus. Oh, guaranteed right in their T2 tank tracks. Ladies and gentlemen, this may be what forces peace. Pink Floyd, you know, with the... The pink pig flying over your head after you've done too much acid through Roger Walters, its leader, has said you can no longer play Pink Floyd songs in Russia or Belarus. Oh, that'll topple Vladimir Putin. There's no doubt about it. All the uh, heads, all the stoners in Russia, in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, in Siberia, will suddenly decide we've got to get rid of Vladimir Putin. We need Roger Waters. Now, if you happen to be a Zionist and a supporter of Israel, you're troubled here. Because you hate Roger Waters, you hate Pink Floyd, because they have boycotted doing concerts in Israel, because they support the divest and boycott movement of Israeli products, because they support the Palestinian cause. But now you support, well, do you support them because some of the uh, Ukrainians are Jews, not the majority, but some of them are Jews that are being driven out of the Ukraine by Vladimir Putin. So is this a good thing that Pink Floyd is doing? 
or are they still bad and evil because they support the effort to boycott and divest from Israel and support the Palestinians? Oh, these severe geopolitical issues. It was so much better when we could just drop acid, right, and listen to Pink Floyd and actually see a pink pig fly over our head. Is that possible, ladies and gentlemen, that you actually saw a pink pig, a Hazarai, while they were doing a concert? How many of you would run home after school and you'd put, put on your Pink Floyd records and play it over and over and over while you were tripping out? Your mom or dad would come home and say, oh, it's a long day at school, a lot of work, yeah, yeah, and it's just like, oh, Shut up, Mom and Dad. I'm just zoning out to Pink Floyd. Oh, but Roger Waters has said, that's it. You can't play Pink Floyd in Russia or Belarus. Both those totalitarian dictators, those autocrats, are probably meeting right now and saying, you know something? We got to end this war because without Pink Floyd, we'll have a nation in which they're on the verge of a revolution, insurrection. Not for bread, not for petroleum, but for Pink Floyd. Are they so self-absorbed, Roger Waters, that they, he actually thinks he and Pink, Pink Floyd can bring this, this war to an end? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Good evening, Curtis. Can we get to some reality? Because some of these callers of yours, I think the moon has come out a bit early. I think there's a lot of kukulamungala loony kazoonies running around out there taking that wolf bane that uh, Larry Talbot took in the wolf man. Let's get to some history. You know, Ukraine should take a lesson from another country in Europe that has lived side by side, relatively peacefully and democratically, I might add, side by side with Russia. You know what that country is? Finland. The Russians fought a war with Finland, December 1939. They sent in 250,000 Russian troops. And you know what the Finns did? They massacred them. They, they, they fought on skis. They fought until every bullet was fired in their ammunition. And the only reason that the Russians eventually won, if you want to call it winning, was they brought in 500,000 Siberian troops. They told them they were going I don't know where. They brought them in, and they, and they beat the Finns, and they, uh, they, 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 they uh, gave them uh, repressive measures. Finland, for whatever reason, then became a, a German ally, joined the Russians in the northern front. It's very interesting that the only country that was an ally of the Axis that did not submit one Jew to the to uh, the Germans was Finland. Oh, Why? Oh. Why? And I'll tell you. I'll tell you the story. Oh, now hold on a second, Robert. You know we're getting a, the entire Wikipedia story of Finland from you. You know. I would feel so much better if Finland would actually invade the Ukraine now, right? I would, um, I would feel well, so. Well, do we don't have to do anything. Finland well, is invading the Ukraine and taking on the Russians. No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Are you out of your mind? If Ukraine, if Ukraine said to the Russians, this could end in five minutes. Ukraine says to the Russians, we will honor what the people of Donbass and that other 
little republic want. If they don't want to be part of us, let's put them to a, a, a fair vote. They want to go with you, they go with you. If they want to go with us, they go with us. We want to be democratic. We want to be economically prosperous. And we don't want to be a pawn. We don't want to be part of NATO. By the way, uh, geographically speaking, can you tell me what in the blazes fin- uh, Finland, Ukraine has to do with the North Atlantic? The last- this guy is like obsessed with Finland. What do they got, like 5,000 people there? And they got a lot of elk and moose. I mean, think of it. Forget the French Foreign Legion. Let's start the Finnish Foreign Legion. We don't need no Americans. We don't need no MiG fighters that have to go through Poland to an American air base in Germany to be refitted and then given to Ukrainian fighters. We'll just send in the Finnish Foreign Legion. I feel so much better knowing that the Finns can take on the Russians. See, this is what I'm talking about, so-called experts. Finland. Finland. Yeah, superpower. When I think of countries in the world that I want our backs, it's the Finns, right? We're going to go to war. Let's make sure Finland's got our back. By the way, uh, that woman who spoke on behalf of Ireland at the European Union, can I hear her just one more time? Because this is our freaking allies. We want to go to war, right? Americans, we got to put up a no-fly zone. We got to help the Ukrainians. We got to take on Vladimir Putin. Meantime, while all of you are banging the war drums, some of our fair weather friends in the European Union, in the European Parliament, are not necessarily saying the nicest things about America. There's no doubt about it. We're living in times of catastrophic crisis where the lives of innocent civilians are sacrificed in the wars of their masters. Yes, in Ukraine, but not only. Since the last plenary, tens of thousands of Afghani citizens have been forced to flee in search of food and safety. Five million children face famine, an uh, agonizing and painful death, this is a 500% painful. increase in child marriages and children being sold just so they can survive, and not a mention you of imagine it, being not married here, to not her. anywhere, no wall-to-wall TV coverage, no emergency humanitarian uh, response, no special plenaries, not even a mention in this plenary, no Afghani delegations please. and no statements, my God, they must be wondering what makes their humanity so unimportant? Is it the colour of their skin? Is it that they're not white? They're not European? That their problems come uh, from a US gun uh, or a US invasion? Is it that the decision uh, to rob their country's wealth oh was God. taken by a despotic US president rather than a Russian one? Because, my God, all wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. I suggest until she apologizes to all of us, we take no more Irish into this country. Irish need not apply. (laughs) This is our allies. Oh, we're all together. NATO has never been stronger, right? We're all in this together. Have you listened to some of the speeches on the floor of the European Union? This is just one of many. I know we like to believe our own propaganda. We have never been more united. No, 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 we're not united. 
If all of a sudden the Russians, now, just imagine, we're all boycotting Russian petroleum, right? Russian natural gas. Imagine if Vladimir Putin says, they go to Italy, because you know Italy. They're just ready to sell us out, right? I tell you what, that that petroleum and that natural gas we were selling you, I'm going to cut the price in half. Half of what you were paying before in lira. Do you think the Italians would hold firm and say, no, it's the principle? Did you hear what I said? I said half of what you were paying before. They would sell us out in a heartbeat. Just like they did when they supported Mussolini, right? And they supported Hitler, the real Hitler. How many Americans, if all of a sudden they were driving, right? They're driving on the Garden State Parkway. And they see, ooh, there's a Shell station. Wow, $5 a gallon for regular. Ooh, wait, Sunoco has it at four ninety. Wait, Luke Oil, the Russian gas station in which all the money goes into Vladimir Putin's pockets, they're selling regular for $3.50 a gallon. Where do you think that American driver would go and fill up? Tell me that some of you would fill up at Shell or Sunoco if Luke Oil was all, all of a sudden selling regular at $3.50 a gallon for regular. $2 for home heating oil instead of the 4 or $5 you're paying now. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's quickly go to Ted, who's also calling from Forest Hills, a place that I spent many a day that I'll never be able to get back, Ted. I I, I, I miss seeing you on Metropolitan Avenue and Selfridge Street, uh, Curtis. I mean, I hope it comes back quickly. You know, airplanes will land at an airport where the gas is cheaper, even a big airplane, and then they turn two engines off when they're taxiing to the uh, terminal. Oh, I had something critical to tell you. The reason they put alcohol on the arm is it lubricants. It's like KY jelly. It doesn't do any germ killing. How's that? Pretty good? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on Hold on. I'm I'm slated for the death penalty in Texas, right? And it's lethal injection now. They they don't have old sparking anymore, the gas chambers. It's lethal injection. It's too bad. I like that one better. Okay. So they swab me down with rubbing alcohol first, and then they find a vein and they prick me. And you're saying because it's like a lubricant or is it antiseptic so that I won't oh, get no. an infection from that? Lubricant. Like KY jelly. No, no, no. Look, guys know what KY jelly is because they don't use it uh, as a petroleum product to all of a sudden start making shakes, you know, where you have to clean the shake machine and put additional petroleum jelly in there, KY. No, no, no. They use that for other purposes. This type of alcohol can't really kill germs too well. I mean, uh, that's the way, that's the real reason. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you realize all that vodka that has been poured down sewers, that stoli vodka that's actually manufactured in Lithuania and not Russia, that if you were to drink all of that, you would be insulated from any coronavirus or any of the variants at all? Didn't you realize that that drinking alcohol could knock out uh, COVID-19? No, it would be digested and uh, would be digested before it was absorbed, right? Oh, God. 
I'm so happy I moved out of Forest Hills. What was that? Stan and Ted. Now you understand. Walking down Metropolitan Avenue, Austin Street, I get the Stan and Ted's of the world coming up to me like male yentas. I had to get out of there. I had to get out of there. I couldn't wait to take that E and that F train from 79th Continental and get the hell out of there. And they keep reminding me, oh, I saw you on Metropolitan Avenue. Oh, I saw you on Austin Street. Well, you don't see me no more, pal. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Alina in Teaneck, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alina. Curtis, I have a question for you. Fire away. Hi. Uh, You used the word Mashiach. I grew up with the word Mashigana. Is Putin a Mashigana? Can you explain the word Mashigana and the word Mashiach? Yes, I can, Alina. Please. (laughs) Okay, first off, uh, the actual expression is the Mashiach. You see, sometimes it's like you get a craw in your throat. When a Mashiach, the Savior, the Savior. Many people in Russia, because they have been baptized in the Eastern Christian faith of the Russian Orthodox Church and have now cast aspersions against the Greeks, the Serbians, the Romanians, and everyone else of the Eastern Christian faith, they believe that Vladimir Putin is like their Mashiach, who is bringing the the strength of the Eastern Christian Orthodox faith to Moscow to the to the gold to the onion domes there, as opposed to Constantinople, Istanbul, oh. as our own John Katsimatidis explained earlier today, uh, who was uh, debating back and forth with my partner uh, on the left, Chris Hahn. It was a stimulating discussion uh, about religiosity. You missed that, didn't you, Alina? I did. I did. I'm so sorry I did. This is a reason that you must listen. If you can't listen uh, at appointment, at the appointment radio time, you must catch these these programs on podcasts at wabcradio.com. I think I do. This was an incredible discussion about religiosity and viscosity, the Uh the two ingredients that have fueled this invasion of the Ukraine, and nobody talks about the religiosity and the viscosity that is involved in this. Okay, but Curtis, what is a mashigana? That is somebody who's ubats, titched, all the furniture upstairs rearranged in the wrong rooms. Crazy. <laughs> a nut job. Uh-oh. I, I, I think we have a Putin mashigana. <laughs> By the way, the viscosity, you know uh, how viscosity plays a role here? Yeah. When the T2 tanks were coming in from Belarus and coming in from the Crimea and attempting a pincher move on Kiev, and it will always be Kiev to me like Kiev chicken. Chicken Kiev, excuse me. The viscosity was lacking in the uh, 10W40 oil that is used in those T2 tanks. They lack viscosity, and that's why you saw a lot of those T2 tanks abandoned along the roadside on their way to Kiev. Are you aware of that? Uh, Yeah, I'm aware of that, but when I was in physics class, viscosity was the, well, the stuff, the, the physical stuff that 
held the water in the cup before it spills. It can kind of go a little bit over the top of the cup before it spills over. So I, I can understand why viscosity was lacking in the tank. Physics? Are we, are we going back through high school? I mean, I barely knew how to operate a Bunsen burner in biology. Never mind physics. What is this Sir Isaac Newton? You know, it's like all of a sudden we got to go to the top of the roof here of the Katsimatidis building and drop a feather and a cannonball and try to prove to Alina that, yes, the cannonball will drop faster, but in a vacuum, they'll both drop at the same rate. And you were a kid. You were sitting there in your physics class and saying, that's crazy. That's impossible. I'm going to drop a feather and a cannonball, and in a vacuum, they would drop at exactly the same rate? Come on, how many of you, remember when your teacher first said that you thought your teacher was in a drug-induced psychosis at that point, had been sniffing the Bunsen burner a little bit too long, and maybe, maybe was freebasing on the Bunsen burner between classes, huh? Admit it. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to the Mick. Oh, is this Mickey Mantle in Brooklyn, the spirit of Mickey Mantle? Relax, relax, Mick. I'm no Pat Cooper, Mick. I'm no Pat Cooper, but relax, relax. I just want to say one thing. Yes. Okay? Okay. There's got to be a solution to all these situations. There's got to be a solution, an easy one, a simple one. And I, wait, what's wrong? How come from the highest up to the high, to the lowest low, nobody says, just turn on the Keystone Pipeline? Just turn on the pipeline, and it's all over. All said and done. Thank you very much. Have a good day. And we're all set. I well, don't understand. Well, in fact, uh, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, had a separate interview with the um, the uh, Minister of Energy from Alberta, a province in Western Canada. It really should be America's 51st state. If you've ever been to Alberta, like I've been there to Edmonton and Calgary, they're really more American than they are Canadian. They even have rodeos. They dress up like cowboys and try to be like Americans. So we might as well be our 51st state, but they're laden with energy, and especially shale. So they love to frack up their hair. Frack, frack you, they say. Frack you, frack you. And, and you take offense to it. No, no, they say, no, we mean fracking. That's how we get there. And, and then they distill it. And then they ship that petroleum in the Keystone Pipeline down to Louisiana and Texas, goes into the refineries, and then it can be sent anywhere over the world. It could be used for the United States. It could be used for other countries. And you're absolutely right. Why not just turn it on? Even Twinkle Toes Trudeau Jr. said, don't turn off the Keystone Pipeline. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, and another thing. Yes. Oh, more- yes, yes, man. Yes. Oh, wait. Oh, and another thing. Yes. Uh, wait a minute. I'm having a senior moment here. Ah, of course, many. Get out of low, Mick. <laughs> well, you're a great audience. I, I, I wouldn't have to even come out and do improv. I, I'd just show up. You'd start laughing, and I'd say, okay, where's my paycheck? I'm ready. <laughs> There's another thing I wanted to say. Go for it. I think, you know, I, you know, they say the way to a man's heart is to his stomach, right? 
<sighs> Am I right? A hackneyed phrase like that. I mean, that's sexist. That's misogynist. We can't permit that. I have to cancel the Mick in Brooklyn. Are we going to perpetuate that myth, that notion that the way to a man's heart is with food? We know it's with sex. It ain't with food. Oh, uh, I married her because she was such a great cook. Yeah, right. Put that in your biography. It's because of the sex, right? If you didn't have a sexual relationship, you really think you would get married? I mean, let's be honest. If it somehow was like ammonium bleach and you just, there was no composite and there was no attraction and none of that comme si quoi, you know, that urge to merge. I mean, maybe you don't do it any longer because he, he can't swallow enough Viagra in order to be able to get to that point. I get it. And the, the women may say, I've had enough of you, please. No more. No more. No mas, no mas. But when you were young huckleberries and that testosterone and that estrogen was crashing through your craniums and you couldn't wait to have that urge to merge. Let's see. Why did most men and women get married? Oh, it's because she was such a good cook. And the way to a man's heart is through food. Wait a second. There was many a guy who married women who had earned a black belt from Betty Crocker because they could cook to kill. They couldn't even boil water. They couldn't even make toast and put the mazzola margarine on it for you to have a crown on your head. They were horrible cooks. It was the guy who was the cook in the house. And quite frankly, the only reason you got together was because you had the urge to merge. Honesty is the best policy. Please, no sexism, no misogyny here on WABC. We're going to have to cancel you. This, remember, we just celebrated uh, International Ladies' Day, right? Women's Day here at WABC. And I'm going to permit the Mick to come on and utter these hackneyed, misogynist, sexist, Overdone stereotype statements when we know it was all about sex, S-E-X. They have a museum based on that, too. Up next, what would you prefer, sex or fast food? For a lot of you, it would be fast food, right? Am I right or wrong? But there are certain eccentricities that go with the purchase of fast food, and especially individuals who have shown up of late outside of Mickey D's, BK, Wendy's, and yes, the Belly Bomber's Delight, White Castle. Oh, we're going to do a little commentary on that and all the crime that's taking place in and around the fast food establishments, of which I'm an expert. You can say I'm an expert because I was the night manager of Mickey D's when I started the Guardian Angels in 1979 in the Bronx. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Stick up, stick up, and I'm shooting.
quick if you hiccup. Don't let me throw my clip up in your back and headpiece the opposite of Put my clip up right uh, earlier today. That degenerate Chris Hahn, who was my partner, that aggressive progressive, was actually, as a white boy, lip syncing the notorious big uh, degenerate rap rhymes in which he was talking about sticking people up, thugging people up, robbing them, and selling crack to pregnant women. Oh, yeah. And they wanted to commemorate Biggie Smalls upon the 25th anniversary of him being iced outside of the NAACP Awards in Los Angeles. They haven't resolved that case yet. Now, do you think that people know who killed Biggie Smalls? Of course they do. But it's keeping it real, as they say in the streets. Snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. You know there are rappers walking around who know exactly who shot Biggie Smalls and killed him. But they're not talking. Just like Tupac Shakur, he is alive! Yeah, yeah, you saw Tupac Shakur. Just like Jim Morrison of the Doors, right, and Elvis. He's alive! You know, it's, uh... <laughs> uh... And they honor these degenerates who make songs about robbing people, looting... And then selling crap to pregnant women. That's enough. Enough of this degenerate. But it's the perfect entry song about fast food locations throughout the city of New York. We have on board, uh, for purposes of reference, I'm going to refer to him as Colonel Kelly. Colonel Craig Kelly, who actually participated in a no-fly zone over Iraq, and is no proponent of no-fly zones because, as he said, in my jet, if they shot at me, I had to shoot at them, and that was a war. But also because he is of the lineage of Ray Kelly, the longest-serving police commissioner in the city of New York. Twelve years Ray Kelly served. And uh, let's face it. If you grew up in the Ray Kelly household in Garden City out there, you learn quite a bit about public safety. And Ray Kelly brings a unique form of observations to his show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3. I must say it is the show that I don't want to miss because he has attention deficit disorder. He digresses all the time. And he... It isn't theater of the mind. He actually is giving commentary about things that really bother him, that bothers average everyday people. And because we put such a focus on fast food, he's talking about the king of all fast food establishments where you get ripped off for a $5 cup of coffee, Starbucks. 29. Starbucks doesn't really count as fast food, but I really like those egg bites there and I go there. And now whenever I go inside, someone insists on opening the door for me. You know, one of those self-appointed doormen. And, you know, they used to have like a kind of, they put on a jolly act, you know. Oh, good morning, sir. Yeah, okay. It was an annoyance. I never give him money. Not because I don't care, but because I think it's bad. I think it encourages them to be there. I think, generally speaking, if you give some guy on the street a buck who asks for it, you're you're fueling a drug and or alcohol habit. It's bad news. Don't do it. Uh, don't make eye contact. Keep going on. Keep moving by. Too many people are engaging these folks. And then now there's a new post-COVID whatever. They are more aggressive than ever before. And they've stopped with the jolly Mr. Nice Guy routine. Yeah, they open the door. 
And this guy at Starbucks yesterday demanded change. <laughs> it's funny. I, I I don't hold change like I used to. I almost pay for a credit card. I'll, if I buy a pack of gum, I'll pay for use a credit card. And the other day, I found two quarters in my wallet, and they seemed so small. They seemed like nickels. I had never held. I hadn't held a quarter in like <laughs> three years. So small. Anyway, as soon as he mentioned the change, I thought, well, I do have fifty cents in my pocket. No. I didn't say no. I just said, pardon, pardon me, pardon me. I just act a little bit crazy myself. Pardon me, pardon, pardon me, pardon, pardon, pardon me. Uh, now, this guy had a look in his eye. Crazy? Nah, I didn't think you were crazy, Greg. A little obsessive, maybe. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when all of a sudden you were bamboozled into paying $5 for a cup of stale coffee. Because it was Starbucks. Starbucks, the CEO, do you know where the CEO was? Although he's since retired. Uh, flirted with the idea of running for the presidency. One to one book signing, got booed, and that was the end of his bid to become president. I'm surprised because he grew up in the Bayview Projects in Canarsie, not far from where I live. Went to Canarsie High School. In fact, went to a university in nowhere, Michigan to play quarterback on the team. A Jewish boy playing quarterback, right? You know his booby, his Zeta said. And for this, we raised you to play with pigskin? And then he goes on to be a CEO of Starbucks. Howard Schultz. I'm telling you, Howard Schultz used to be on Flatlands Avenue. He'd get into those card games with the Lucchese crime family. They used to clean him out. He owned Viggs Galore to every, every Lucchese guy imaginable. But he always paid his big. They would always say, Howard, oh, you know, you're the guy from Starbucks, you know? He was good. He always paid the big. You know, we never had to bend his leg and stuff it in his pocket. We never had to, we never had to <laughs> do a Dick Cheney to him. And I said, what do you mean Dick Cheney? You used to waterboard him? Hey, whenever every other measure failed, uh, always give him a good dunking. We tell him, hey, a Jewish guy, we're giving you a baptism. Pay the money. That's a little story about Howard Schultz and Starbucks, you know, a little bit of the dark side of Starbucks. But you notice Greg Kelly, Kelly, he was a little bit off there, right? Well, it didn't just stop at Starbucks. He also started repeating over and over a phrase that I've heard him say over and over in the streets. Spare some change? No. Can I hear that again? Spare some change? No. One more time. Spare some change? No. I hear that everywhere. Spare some change? No. I hear that in the subways. Spare some change? No. In the streets. Spare some change? No. You can't escape that. Spare some change? No. So maybe I'm getting as obsessed as Greg Kelly. But then he came to a conclusion after really recognizing that he was wigging out. That he needed to avoid all fast food, all fast food everywhere. Avoid fast food in New York City. I used to love fast food. Actually, this is probably a this is probably a win for me. I'm not going to go as much, if at all. Now, the number one thing is, did you know that every McDonald's and Burger King and even Starbucks now has a doorman? <laughs> it's not like they're paying for it. It's uh, some doorman. Somebody just showed up. <laughs> Some punk, usually in a mask, who wants change from you on your way in. Spare some change? No. 
That's my problem. I get very mouthy with them. I don't like that. I don't like it when they do that. What was that again? I didn't quite hear that. Spare some change? No. See, I'm I'm obsessing myself with that. Spare some change? No. If you notice, Greg Kelly was telling stories about how he avoids fast food, Mickey D's, BK, Wendy's, Starbucks, all because somebody acts like a concierge outside and offers to open the door for you for? Spare some change? No. <laughs> Can you imagine Greg Kelly walking the streets of New York? This guy's a colonel, right? He's a trained killer. United States Marine, right? They're psycho boys. And he's mumbling to himself. Spare some change? No. Putting on his Marine uniform, declaring war on all these guys looking for chump change. Spare some change? No. I could see a Travis Bickle here. Oh, yeah. I could see. Our own Greg Kelly walking around like Travis Bickle in one of the greatest movies ever made, Taxi Driver, getting a mohawk haircut, walking around, right, and saying, Spare some change? No. Spare some change? No. This is what this city can do to you, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Kelly, months ago, before he came to WABC, a fixture on Newsmax, 7 o'clock at night. I would see him on the E-Train. E-Train, right? On a regular basis. The only television personality that I ever saw on a regular basis on the E-Train. Now he won't go in the subways. He won't go into fast food restaurants. I'm telling you, he's going to become a, the new Tavis Pickle. We're going to see him on the front page of the Post mumbling. Spare some change? No. It drives you to the point where we're all becoming this way. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC and all the way from the heartland of America, the Buckeye State. The international headquarters is located there of the Belly Busters, White Castle. It's Columbus, Ohio, and Russell, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Russell. Okay, Curtis. Been a while. I just uh, thought I'd say hello, and uh, I just... uh... Got in from work, and I uh, wondered if you heard about the uh, 81 people that got uh, executed in Saudi Arabia last night. Oh, I did. They got a poke and a chop. I was. I was. That's what I was going to ask you. I wonder how they got how they got uh, executed. Was a beheading all of them? No. What they do is they march them into their international soccer stadium. And they get charged with all kinds of crimes. You know, some of them are kleptomaniacs. Some of them like to wear uh, women's lingerie. Uh, some of them did not go to mosque. I mean, we're talking serious crimes like murder, rape. And then we're talking about, like, misdemeanors, violations, things here, you know, that you wouldn't even get written up in. And all of a sudden, the ministers uh, of uh, virtue fighting vice march you out into the middle of the stadium. And remember that scene in Kill Bill where all of a sudden the samurai sword is brought out and they give you a oh, poke? Yeah. yeah. They give you a poke yeah. right underneath your your rib cage, and then they give you a chop, and your head goes flying off your torso. That is some, well, that is some serious penalties there. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I heard that on the news, and I thought uh, people people were just kidding me, but uh, nope. I guess it's real. Nope. No, and they make a public spectacle of it. They want to put fear, fright, hysteria, and hype the penalties because this is how they control their population. You're not entitled to have an uh, opinion there, or they'll do a Khashoggi to you. All of a sudden, they, you not only may have your head chopped off in a uh, soccer stadium, but your body may be chopped up and sort of dispersed all through the sands of Mecca and Medina. <laughs> and now Biden, he's he's trying to uh, beg them in to open up more oil for us. Uh, I don't know. It's a crazy world. Well, Russell, think of it. Every president that I've ever seen elected, one of the first trips they make is to the sands of Saudi Arabia, to the House of Fraud. All of these men with fake, phony, fraudulent beards and mustaches. You know, they wear the shmata on their head when they're in Saudi Arabia. When we see them walking around New York, they got the knockoff Armani suits. They're chasing skirts. They're at bars. They're throwing it back, and they're doing lines of cocaine. But the moment they go back to Mecca and Medina, oh, they're all pious, you know, and they're all super religious. And when they have a prostate cancer problem, which some of them have, like all men, what do they want more than anything else in the world? Find me a Jewish doctor. Yeah, yeah. And every American president, remember, first it was Bush 43. He invited the the Sheikh, uh, the Shmir or whatever his name is, down to Crawford, Texas. He's (laughs) kissing his hand. Then Barack Obama gets elected. I say, okay, Barack's going to do it different. No, he's bowing to the guy. Every yeah, president. Barack Obama, he just bowing to him. Right, and then Donald Trump, remember they did the sword dance over there in Riyadh, and he's doing the yeah. sword dance. And I'm like, what is this This allegiance, this 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 uh, overbending love that we have for the Saudis who are totalitarian dictators? Yeah, I don't understand it. It's crazy. Like my, my my grandpa used to call them Arabs, so that's 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 a pretty good term, I guess. <laughs> I know, and Russell, you know, you know where this all started, Russell. In a little tiny bucolic part of the Buckeye State, you had not yet been birthed. I had not been birthed. It's a place called East Cleveland. Have you ever visited East Cleveland, Russell? I've been through there, yes. All right, little town, maybe like uh, two square miles long, right next to Cleveland. It was the home of uh, John D. Rockefeller and Standard Oil Company when they were the only ones pumping oil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know where it is. Anywhere in the world. And they started this, and then Henry Ford took them to court and said they're a monopoly. Henry Ford won the case, and then that's how everybody else got involved in the oil business. Yeah, I've got a uh, old uh, standard Ohio uh, filling station sign sitting out in my garage. You should set it up. Say three dollars and fifty cents a gallon, and you'll have yeah. lines line, yeah. lines that'll go all the way to Detroit. Yeah, it's uh, four or four dollars and fifteen cents here most most places, and it's going to be going up and up and up. You know, uh, John D. Rockefeller, they were wildcatters. They just sunk oil wells anywhere in Pennsylvania. They figured, hey, that's cold country. Uh, we'll, we'll put up that black crude, Pennsylvania. And then all of a sudden, you know the rest of that story. 
Yeah, it's like here in Ohio. We've got a lot of wells and stuff over here. Everything all capped up now. It's not pumping or anything. They still got a bunch of them over here. But they love to frack. They love to frack down near Youngstown and Warren. Oh, they frack everything. So many fracking operations that they get the shakes there. It's like mini earthquakes. Beware, Russell. You got to beware. I'm telling you, put up that standard oil sign. Put $3.50 a gallon, and the lines of the cars will go all the way to Detroit. Well, I could set up a steel and start selling moonshine, I guess. That would work. Yeah. Well, while they're waiting to get the $3.50 gas, right, it would take almost as long to ferment the apple skins and the pear skins and the banana peels that would be making your moonshine. That's where it all started, Standard Oil Company, John D. Rockefeller. Before that, the only Earl they had was Olive Earl. And we had quite a spirited discussion earlier today, uh, left versus right, when all of a sudden John Katsimatidis, the oil baron, came in and smacked Chris Hahn around <laughs> about talking about Earl. And then I digressed, and I started talking about olive oil. And then John said 75% of the olive oil out there are knockoffs. It's not the real deal. That's right. You know, like you're walking along Canal Street, and they're looking at you and saying, hey, Louis Vuitton, ha-ha, Gucci, and it's all knockoffs. John Katzmantidis, also a supermarket baron, told us that 75% of the oil, the olive oil, are knockoffs. And my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino who died at the age of 99, I'll never forget, at the age of 98, had a full head of hair. And I said, hey, Fidel, what is the secret? He said, every day, Wanyan, that means child, filia mia, I take the second press virgin Bertoli olive oil, I spread it through my hair, I take a comb and I comb it back and around and everywhere, and that's why they call us, us WAPs, Grease balls. I said, is that why almost all the Italians have the hair on their head even until the day of their demise? He goes, that's right. But remember, it's got to be Bertoli, second press, virgin olive oil. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Terry, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Terry. Hi. I had you in speakerphone because I almost gave up. Oh, anyway, now, oh, hold on. Hold on. I cringe every time I, you give out the number because it's been busy, busy, busy. Well, that's good. Um, you see, if it wasn't busy, that would be bad. I would then have to look for a job hanging wallpaper. But, but, Terry. you would be good at it, I'm sure. But, Terry, um, this I is... I have three suggestions. Oh, yes, I don't want to interrupt oh, with your suggestions. God forbid I interrupt. Go ahead. Okay. And I want... Uh, should I go three, two, one in the order of preference, or should you one from the top? Whatever way you want to serve them up. Okay, I'm going to go three, two, one. My first... My third one is streets and rails. Streets the world over. And re- okay, the world over. Okay, because I do have guardian okay. angels all over the world. And you can hear this program. Uh, the moment it is uh, dusk, it's dark uh, in 38 states, parts of Canada, and parts of Europe. And 
down in the uh, Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle. Very good. Okay, excellent. No, well, I, that's what I, I kind of wanted to bring out. Uh, then the other thing is um, Streetwise with Curtis Sleetwood. And then the well, well, that's a good one. Me. Streetwise with Curtis Sleetwood. Okay, it's truncated. Right. It's always easier okay. when the title is a short title because, you know, our suits, our muckety-mucks, our markers, they have a very limited uh, attention span. So the shorter the title, the better. That's why I thought shirt, uh, sheet wise, street wise was good. I like that. And he said, then Curtis, blah, blah. And then he goes where most won't. I don't know. That could probably be phrased a little bit better, but that's mm. kind of the feeling. Yeah, that needs and a little, Terry, Terry, that needs, uh, that needs a little work. Come on, Terry. That needs a little work. Right. That, yeah, that, I that's, feel uh, that, that way, too. That's not prime time. That's JV. Come on, Terry. I want the prime cut. I don't want <laughs> choice meat. I want the prime cut. All right, this is number one, and I think this is so good. Hard Knocks with Curtis. Ooh. And then when they introduce you, they'd say, he graduated. Oh, a play on words. A pun. I love it. Yes. I just love it. It was worth the wait. It was worth it. School of Hard Knocks. The the excruciating wait. It was worth it, Terry. You bet. Oh, well, thank you. you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. I hope you. you go with it. I, I love it because you are, you did graduate from hard knocks. I mean, you are fantastic. You should only know oh, the kind of hard knocks I've had. By the way, I gave you money. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I gave you money, oh. and I voted for you. Oh, that, that's the daily double right there. You're right. Now, the trifecta right. will be as if we pick your suggestion for a new name. For this program, because I want you to listen, Terry, I want you to listen. The reason we're having to go through this routine, this ordeal, this exercise, it's not anything I wanted. It's not anything that any of the management and the owner or operator, John or Marco Katsimatidis, wanted. No, it's because Frank Morano had a hissy fit. This may be the last time I played this song, Frank. Some of the listeners have wanted me to call the weekend segment on the other side of midnight another, give it another name, since it's different than yours. I, I agree. You're ruining our show's reputation. We work hard for this show. And we don't need you uh, taking 13-minute calls from uh, uh, Mike in Manhattan about nonsense, about James K. Polk and how I don't talk enough about the Mexican-American War. Uh, pick a new name. There are some suggesting we need a new Mexican-American war. Frank at the border, huh? By the way, James K. Polk, my favorite president, really was from Tennessee. He was a Tennessee stump jumper, served only one term. He said, I'm only serving one term. And he had open house at the White House. So that meant at a certain time each day, you could be traveling from all over the United States, even out west, to unsettled territories, and you were seeking potentially to become a state, you could find your way to Washington, D.C., into the White House, and you could be sitting with the President of the United States, just an average, everyday person with no lobbyists. Nowadays, Scott, what lobbyists do you know? Who have you greased? James Polk 
had open house at the White House every day, a few hours each day. Can you imagine a local politician, a statewide politician, a national politician doing that and allowing you to be heard? Are you kidding? They would probably, if they even tried it, they would say, I want you to talk to my chief of staff because I'm too busy clipping my toenails, getting a manicure, a pedicure. Or like in the case of Eric Adams, having to run off to a photo op. You'll have to schedule a time with my chief of staff, Frank Caron, who right away will have his hand out saying, hmm. And for a hamburger on Tuesday, I would be so happy that you grease me on Thursday. (sighs) That's right, Frank. James Polk, the greatest president we ever had, a Tennessee stump jumper, a man who had open house at the White House, who would sit down with a man, a woman, an immigrant, somebody who had landed with the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock, or, or had been part of 1619, the revisionism of American history at Jamestown, or had been a native Indian. Yes, indigenous people, too. And that's why I talk about James Polk. You notice how he got that in. He like a little shot at me. That's what I'm dealing with here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm dealing with here. But the suggestions are flying in fast and furiously. I appreciate that. We are in need of this. The clock is ticking and the suits, the muckety-mucks, the mockers. Our owners and operators have said, Curtis, you have to have a new name. A new name by next Friday when you resume this this marathon of yours, 20 hours. By the way, the most popular of all the 20 hours I do on the weekends is coming up at 12 with my wife, Nancy. Uh, she is the animal welfare expert, an animal rescuer. She can answer a wide variety of questions. And by the way, there will be two, two tapes that I will play tonight from Greg Kelly in which he talks about animal issues. And, you know, in typical Greg Kelly style, it's like uh, it's uh, it's uh, a process of elimination. He doesn't know necessarily what direction he's going to go. He digresses. It's attention deficit disorder. And then all of a sudden he spews out a question. And a lot of times the audience is not either quick enough or able enough or a cogent enough to address that question. But I discovered two of them this week that I'm going to bounce off from Nancy and see if she has the answers. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mike. Calling from St. James, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hello, Curtis. Uh, two quick ones, one national, one local. Uh, WABC uh, talk show host, financial and economic expert Steve Moore said on Saturday, if President Biden calls those companies out west to restart the Keystone Pipeline, they will not do it because they lost billions in uh, lost investments. Do you agree with that? Well, as our own uh, owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, uh, who's a great talk show host in his own right, does the Cats Roundtable Monday through Fridays at 5, said to me earlier, Curtis, you know about crime in the streets, you know about subways, you know about a lot of things. You know about Olive Earl, but you know nothing about petroleum. 
So actually, I would be the wrong person to ask about that, Mike. I will take that, and I will run it up the flagpole to John Casamitidis. Very good. Uh, Number two, uh, you're pretty familiar with the uh, arrest procedure in New York City. Yes, I've been arrested 76 times. (laughs) You know the uh, the around-the-horn routine. Oh, Uh, I know all about stop, frisk, and I'll tell you, uh, no questions, please. Yes, go ahead. Uh. Today, if someone gets arrested for some offense and they get a disappearance ticket, are they at least photographed, fingerprinted, and DNA'd? No. Before? No. What, what, a, dis- uh, a desk appearance ticket, or as I refer to it and you aptly refer to it, a disappearance ticket, it is the same kind of ticket you would get if you uh, were being written up uh, for a moving violation, uh, for speeding. You know, it's a, a pink slip. Uh, and there's no no background check at all. There's no DNA uh, that's taken from you. None, none of that. And that's why you 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 slip through the cracks. You disappear. Well, what if uh, said suspect is wanted for uh, murder in Chicago or escape from prison in California? Mike, he's just going to walk. Mike, forget St. Louis or Chicago. What about if they committed a murder here and they're wanted and there's an outstanding warrant for them? They walk. There's there's no background check done. You see, one of the benefits when uh, you stop fare evasion, because if you don't control the subway at the turnstiles, you lose control of the subway and look at what you got. Uh, Crime uh, went up 200 percent in just one week uh, this last week because there's no controls. People are not paying their fare. Stand near the turnstiles. It's like the Irish sweepstakes. They go under the turnstile, over the turnstile. Somebody swipes. And then they open up the door, and then like 50 people come running in. There is no control at the turnstile, and as a result, you lose control of the subways. In the past, they have busted people for fare evasion. They have patted them down. Hey, what's this loaded nine doing? Wait, you got a Philly roll on you? You got thousands of dollars here, and you didn't even pay your fare? Wait, you have an outstanding warrant. You haven't been paying child support, have you? You're going to J-A-I-L, pal. Okay, Curtis, one more item. Is there anyone who actually told the uh, foot patrolman, beat cops, not to make arrests? Is that a myth or... No, 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 no. In fact, uh, look, uh, there there were two cycles. Uh, for instance, let's take you back to uh, when there was the crack cocaine epidemic. It hit us hard in about 1985. Orders from uh, one police plaza, Benjamin Ward, one of the worst police commissioners we've ever had, although Ed Koch always said, oh, he's he the greatest police commissioner of all time. His complexion was his protection. But Benjamin Ward, actually ordered uniformed police officers not to make drug arrests because he felt, oh, that would create corruption. So naturally, you're the citizen. You see a drug deal taking place, let's say, on the corner of 46th and 8th, right in Times Square, and you watch two beat cops walk by and not do anything. You immediately assume, oh, they're in on this. They're getting paid. The cops were told, the uniformed cops, you got to call it into the precinct, up to the detectives bureau, and they'll have to go out and they'll have to see if they can make an arrest and do a buy-in bust. And it, 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 it created such a negative response from the general public who thought that all the cops were corrupt. And now it's happening again. They're telling cops, don't make arrests. Don't make arrests. In fact, take what normally might be a felony 
busted down to a misdemeanor, a misdemeanor to a violation, a violation is something that didn't occur. Walk around like you got window shades on your eyes. Uh, when, uh, you have uh, cotton balls in your ears and a zipper on your mouth. Curtis, wouldn't that be an illegal order seeing they're asking the police to violate their oath? Yeah, they do it every day. They do it every day. There's no no recourse on that. Well, no they, higher authority. They, they could be sued. They could be sued. Remember, there are lawyers out there every day. They practice their martial art. I sue. But you have to have a lot of patience and you have to jump through hoops because there are a lot of levels of the civil justice system you'll have to go through before it gets properly adjudicated. It seems like a lost cause, though, trying nope. to uh, nope. police the city. No, 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 no. Think back. How bad it was in 1992 under uh, the mentor for our new mayor, Eric Adams, David Dinkins. 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 shootings, most of them unsolved. Crime taking place all over. Rudy gets elected on a law and order platform, and we went from the murder capital, the crime capital of America in eight years, to the safest big city in America because Rudy immediately put in zero tolerance, broken windows theory, Comstat, so that every precinct was accountable for all crimes every day in a 24-hour cycle, and he kept the pressure on street thugs. Eric Adams is not doing that. Bill de Blasio is not doing that. Uh, clearly, if you don't do that, you can't get control of crime in the city, in the subways, in the parks, or in the schools. Okay, Curtis, one more quick item. Has anyone ever taken a survey of these sentences when a judge sends someone away without possibility of parole? How many have been paroled later? Hmm, now that's an interesting question. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll do a little research on that, Mike. Uh, my wife, Nancy, is an Esquire. She always says, Curtis, call me by my name, Nancy Sliwa Esquire. Esquire, I say, that's a boot polish. What are you talking about? She goes, I earned it the hard way at Brooklyn Law. I will now have her earn that Esquire tag, that hashtag, by researching a brilliant question that you just posed to me in our audience. Well, if, if she was from Australia, you could call her a Kiwi. <laughs> and not only that, not just the Kiwi, but if she was from Australia, the land down under, you know what they love? Vegemite. It's a craft American product that never sold in America. It was so horrible. They tried to replace marmalade. No American would buy it. So we figured, huh, let's sell it to the people who went to Australia as a penal colony, and they love it. You go to Australia... And they say, well, what are you having for breakfast? Vegemite. What are you having for brunch? Vegemite. What are you having for lunch? Vegemite. What are you having for dinner? Well, we're having Falstaff, that's for sure, the babby, and we're covering the shrimp with Vegemite. Yeah! Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Yeah! yeah. Is it a bake sale? Is it Entenmann's? Yeah, we're sitting shiver. 
the man in charge of Entenmann's, unfortunately passed away. Are we talking yellow cake? Remember from Niger when Tony Blair said, we have discovered the yellow cake of Niger that Saddam Hussein used in his weapons of mass destruction? Nah. Let me hear more of this flow. Yeah. Smell like. Feel like it's a dream, but now we back to real life. What a thug. I got flyers, watch, inhalers. Yeah, go ahead. Inhale it. Hopefully you OD. You can't OD on a blunt. Or maybe you can if you're Wiz Khalifa. What a degenerate. Oh, and all these white boys. Yeah, it's like Chris Hahn here, lip syncing. Hey, Biggie Smalls, Wiz Khalifa. Because he thinks, oh, I'm hip, I'm happening. I said, oh, you're going to lip sync all their words? What about when they drop the N-bomb? Try to use the N-bomb in front of the brothers as they say, wow, this white boy really knows how to rap. Uh-uh. Not even Slim Shady Eminem could drop the N-bomb. But I digress, ladies and gentlemen. We have to talk about a question that I posed to our audience the other evening for six straight hours. Into the wee hours of the morning. In fact, our own owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, said he could not fall asleep because he could not fathom what product that America sells to Mother Russia, the old USSR, that if we were to suddenly cut the supply chain the way we have in getting off of our addiction to Russian petroleum and Russian natural gas, that if we were to cut off this supply from the good old U.S. of A., it would probably cause the downfall of Vladimir Putin, I would say, within a month. And John Katsimatini said, yeah, I, I waited up six hours to hear it. And people were guessing everything under the sun, and all they got were wolf tickets. I remember being there in 1994 in Gorky Park in Moscow, right next to the river. Gorky Park is like the equivalent of Central Park. I'm sure some of you have visited Moscow, either as members of our CIA criminals in action or trying to go over there and sort of swindle money from the oligarchs as they were trying to swindle investments from you. But for whatever reason, you may have ended up along the banks of the Moscow River and been in Gorky Park. I remember in 1994, uh, Gorbachev, uh, the guy with the wine stain on his head, he was out. With uh, Raisa, remember his wife? They were at their dacha in the Crimea. That's right, their dacha in the Crimea. When all of a sudden, the old Stalin general surrounded them, and it was a coup d'état. And coming to their rescue was Boris Yeltsin. And he became the drunken leader of uh, the new Russia, the Russian Federation. They took out their new flag, and they did away with the hammer and sickle. The only place you find the hammer and sickle now is in your arm and hammer box that you put in your refrigerator because arm and hammer, capitalist said he was, was like the first big friends of Joe Stalin and the communists. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yes, that's true. That's why you put an arm and hammer box in your refrigerator because that's how the Soviets listen to you. It's like Alexa. Before there was Alexa, before there was Zuckerberg, before there was every form of technology that could figure out what you were purchasing or desired to purchase and then send you multiple messages simultaneously. The old Russians of Khrushchev, of Stalin, of Vladimir Lenin would listen 
to your conversations through the arm and hammer baking soda box that is in every American refrigerator that has ever been manufactured to get the stink out of there, right? Tell me of a refrigerator somewhere in America. It could be in Ohio. It could be in Nebraska. It could be in California, Florida. It could be in New Hampshire, New York. You open up the refrigerator, it doesn't matter what's in there. You will always find in the back an open box of arm and hammer baking soda. And that's how the Soviets almost won the Cold War. Because arm and hammer would go back and forth and was considered an agent of America, but was he an agent or a double agent? Anyway, I digress. Boy, do I have you confused now. Go ahead, do a little Wikipedia check on that, huh? And you'll be shocked. Oh, my God, he was a communist. How many of you subsidized Arm and Hammer for all those years and you never knew all you knew it got the stink out of your refrigerator? So I tortured all of you. I said, what was that American product that we addicted the Russian population to by using every capitalist commercial trick available, which started with giving out stuff free? Oh, I don't care if you're a communist, a socialist, or a capitalist. What is everyone loving in the world? Free stuff. Give me free stuff. They'll stand online for hours. If you haven't noticed, here in New York... You could give away free stuff, and people who would never stand on a line, not at a bank, not at a restaurant, not at takeout, you tell them you're giving away free stuff, they'll stand on line for two or three hours. So there I was in Gorky Park, and I had to go to the bathroom. Oh, God. I don't think anybody had cleaned those bathrooms since uh, the days of the gulag. It is a country of extremes. It's either extremely good or extremely bad. Then I went down into the Moscow subway system. It's a museum, every station. There are glass windows that have been created artistically, stained glass windows in the subway system. There are statues. There are works of art, many of them celebrating. It's, uh, you know, a worker's world. Workers of the World Unite, you know, all the old communist slogans. But really, it's amazing. And just like we've seen in the bomb shelters in Kiev, you could eat off the floor in the turlets work. (laughs) That's uh, one thing they do a hell of a lot better than us is run subway systems. And even though they are old subway cars, vintage World War II subway cars, and you may have to go three escalator rides down with wooden slats, Then you see the women on the bottom with the babushkas on their head. They're mopping up and down. You can eat off the platforms of the Moscow subway system of Kiev. But not here. You imagine if an air raid silent went on, God forbid, in New York City. Would anybody seek sanctuary in the subway? I mean, think about it. The last place you would run to, to to, to seek sanctuary. Protection in a bomb shelter would be the subway system of New York. First of all, all the rats would say, where do you think you're going? Then you got the homeless and the emotionally disturbed. Hey, this is our turf. You ain't going down here. I didn't think of it. But anyway, I digress. So what I saw in Gorky Park was truckloads. The label, Mars Bars. They were giving out free Snickers bars. Everybody got a free Snickers bar. 
You could have been a veteran of fighting off the Nazis outside of Moscow. You got a Snickers bar. You could have been a brand new baby. You got a Snickers bar. You could have been a booby and a Zeta. You got Snickers bar. We addicted the Russian population in 1994 to Snickers bars. And in fact, it became such a problem in Mother Russia that they had a debate on the floor of what is their parliament, the Duma, in which one part of the Duma was saying, my God, this is how the West will infiltrate and destroy us. Well, that was partially true. And the second part of the Duma said, no, this is free stuff. Are you kidding? Our people are ready to have a revolution. We'll take credit for giving them free stuff. And the other part of the Duma said, that makes a lot of sense because we don't have any rubles to give them right now. They are so addicted. The average Russian makes $100 a month. They buy two Snicker bars, the big ones, and some of them are frozen. You know, like when you go to the frozen, uh, uh, you know, you buy your Ben and Jerry's, you buy your Hagen dazs you know, that's behind glass doors now that are chained up, you know, from everybody who's going in there shoplifting. And if you notice, they have the frozen Snicker bars, the Snicker candy slash ice cream bars. Russians are addicted to that. We are continuing to do business with Russia. $2 billion worth of Snickers bars are manufactured here and shipped to Vladimir Putin's Russia from Siberia to the borders of the Ukraine. If we cut that off, I give it one month. Those Russians will be at the gates of Red Square. They will turn that mother out. They are addicted to Snickers bars. And the only place you can get the Snickers bars is a good old U.S. survey. But has anybody thought of that? No. In fact, they had a problem a year after I left. Somebody had poisoned a batch of Snicker bars. And people were dying. They were eating the Snicker bars and dying. So they thought, oh, my God, this is like 1982. Remember the Tylenol? The Tylenol murders, when they tampered with the Tylenol bottles in Chicago, they laced them with potassium cyanide. By the way, they never found out who did that. But Johnson & Johnson nearly went bankrupt from that because nobody would buy Tylenol. Nobody. And then they figured, oh, they created that that, that, uh, child-proof Tylenol bottle, which even an adult can't open up. (laughs) I certainly can't. You know that even in the midst of people being poisoned in eating Snickers, there's like 13 people died from eating Snickers in Moscow and St. Petersburg. People continue to buy the Snickers and eat Snickers and said, I'll take my chances. This is real Russian roulette. I probably have the Snickers bar that was not poisoned with potassium cyanide. Think of how we handle the Tylenol crisis. Nobody would buy Tylenol. Think of how the Ruskies handle when they poison the whole batch of Snickers. I'll buy more because they were cheaper. Naturally, you want to encourage. They took it from 50 cents down to 25 cents, and they couldn't buy enough. We turn off the pipeline of Snickers from Mars Corporation in America that makes $2 billion alone from Russian consumption of Snickers. And we can break the back of Vladimir Putin. But nobody, nobody suggests that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. 
Yes, hello. Uh, I did a little surgery on my uh, name for your show. I call it the Snappy Schmoozy Meow Sliwa. Wow. Now that's, uh, let's see, that's uh, adjective lace. The uh, Snappy Schmoozy Meow Sliwa? That is correct. You know, I was going to say uh, sleepy time and street smart, but that's uh, that's cliche. The yeah, yeah, you know something. Yeah, white yeah, I know that, Michael. You know something? Don't snore me. He's pulling my chain and chewing my BVDs. I should have starched them before he chewed them. That he stayed online. What was that? Three hours in order to patronize me and placate me with something that had no creativity after he had heard, I mean, just caller after caller, using creative license, creating great new names for a show that I have to have a new name for by next Friday. Or Frank Morano might have another hissy fit. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. There it is, Tommy from Brooklyn. You remember a couple of, about a month ago, I said you, you should change your name. I was the first guy to say it. Keep me in mind. And I still like Midnight Madness with Curtis Lee with Theater of the Mind Extraordinaire. Uh, Midnight Madness, which would mean that every degenerate gambler in uh, America would be placing uh, bets on every word that I said, how many breaks did I take. Uh, I mean, it would really I, – I, Tommy, that, yeah, please, don't insult me. Midnight Madness. How is that creative? You know, I'm tired of the testosterone. We had too many macho, maniacal guys pimp their ride off of things that were non-creative. Generally in our society, estrogen prevails when it comes to creativity. So let's try Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lucy. Oh, I'm glad I got you before 12. Oh. I feel like Cinderella. Yeah. Oh, Cinderella, Lucia, Cinderella. Lucia, that's yeah, me. That's you. Listen, yes. you talk, I'm so interested in all your topics. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's political, history, funny, personal, whatever it is. We cover We cover a panoply of different topics. You certainly do. I, so I think yes. being it's a talk show... Simple name for your new show should be Conversations with Curtis. God. We've really gone downhill. From the height of creativity, we're sounding like a PBS show now. Conversations with Curtis Sleeve. How bland. How bland. How boring. First of all, most of my conversations are with myself. So I guess the opening monologue would be I'm talking to myself and answering myself. Wow, where did we go? We had, we were on a roll there. I mean, the intellectual uh, aptitude of some of our callers, really, all-time highs. And now this, this is like recycled verbal flotsam and jetsam. Let's go to uh, Richard calling from, uh, is that Riverdale, uh, Richard? Yes. Hi. You're talking about President Polk. He was my grandfather's cousin. Now, now, hold on a second. President Polk, the Tennessee stump jumper, 
That's right. Was the friend of your what? No, he was my grandfather's cousin. How? In Independence, Eisenhower, Independence, Iowa. Wait a second. And they had a couple of other cousins. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Richard. You sound to me like you might have a DNA trail of three-eyed cousin fornicators, and I'm to believe that one of them was the president of the United States, James Polk. You really are trying to sell that to our audience? That's what we were told. Okay. We knew, I, I didn't know well, Polk, wait a second, but I Richard. knew his other cousin. Wait a the second. There is a way to resolve this, Richard. I see the commercials every five seconds from the Church of the Latter-day Saints into the cathedral <laughs> there in Salt Lake City, the Mormons, who bamboozle you into thinking that they can take your DNA and trace your background, and you will have been the king of Switzerland. You will have been the queen of Bavaria. Nobody is ever a slave. Nobody was ever a surf. Nobody was ever an indentured servant. You're like Oprah Winfrey. Oh, I come from royalty. I'm not that interested in knowing the whole story. I knew some of the other cousins, my grandfather's cousins, because I'm 76. My grandfather's this, we're going back 100 years. Um, and I knew other cousins, but not not. Well, well, well now, now, now this, that is plausible. I, I, I apologize to you now realizing that you're not a young whippersnapper. You're 76 uh, as per 1776, which is so historic to our country. I, I, I beg forgiveness from you, Richard. I really That's do. That's fine. That's okay. fine. We love you. And the other cousins were uh, just easygoing, regular, conservative, very conservative people. And they said that the president was his... I said that his DNA thread went through three-eyed cousin fornicators, and he thanked me. We love you. What is wrong with our audience? Do they have no soul? Do they have no self-esteem? Do they no have no fight in their belly? When I have made these kind of disparaging remarks against this entire thread of cousins out there, and he goes, we love you. Disparage us more. <sighs> See what I'm dealing with? And the closer we get to the other side of midnight and 1 o'clock, this is what the kind of call. Hey, look, see, notice. Now, what, what is your name, board operator? Come, come from because you're the same board operator, same schmuck and putz yeah, yes. who handles Frank Morano. You, yeah. you were here at nine o'clock. I am. And notice the stream of callers, their intellect, their wittiness, their creativity was in a, at an apex. Right. There certainly has been a difference. All of between... a sudden, we start approaching. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano, yeah. and it's like, I guess we have like special ed. Forget Mensa. Uh, it's sort of like really. They've woken up. They've Not come only out that, but you heard this guy, seventy-six years old, and telling me thank you for disparaging all my cousins, calling them <laughs> three-eyed cousin fornicators. That's all he could say. That's a Frank Morano listener. You see, yeah. that's the difference. Just happy to talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to mention that coming up is the most requested, most listened to segment of the 20 hours of programming that I do on the weekend when WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. How do we know this? The algorithms tell us this. More calls, more intellect and intelligence, 
more concern about the welfare of our furry little family members and friends, be they dogs, cats, or other animals. And I guess it's because it's my wife who's actually hosting it. I, I'm just sort of steering you in her direction as the expert, as an animal rescuer. But this is where the ratings surge. And that Mamaluke, that Mangalooch, that Mashad, Frank Morano, immediately pimps that ride at this very start to the other side of midnight with extraordinary ratings and won't give Nancy or Curtis Lewa any credit whatsoever. Over the course of human history, human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Whatever that means, I still, uh, you know, use these $5 words, multi-syllabic words. I have a difficulty with it, but not my wife. She is a pedigree. She uh, who went to Stony Brook College, having grown up out in Bohemia and Suffolk County, and then earned her law degree at Brooklyn Law. That's right, she is an Esquire. It does not stand for shoe polish. But she uh, is an expert in her own right in animal welfare. Everything involving animals from A to Z, not just dogs and cats. We welcome you once again to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Nancy. You know, every time I hear that intro, I totally love it, but I'd like to be part of that little... uh you know, nowhere's ox, so it's like maybe I can get a, a shout-out. Wow, you're trying to muscle me, too. Well, I mean, I mean, I am the one who cleans the litter, so a little shout-out would be appreciated. First, it was my oldest son, Anthony, <laughs> who objected when the podcast that we do once a week, you could go to WABCradio.com and see Father and Son uh, podcasts, uh, Curtis and Anthony, immediately complained to management that it should be Anthony and Curtis. I mean, I just want to be like a, a rider on the, the ark. You know, that's it. Well, <laughs> I'm getting muscled every which way. Frank Morano muscling the name. Now you muscling it. Oh, Mrs. Noah. You want to be Mrs. Noah on Noah's Ark, right? I mean, I'd like to have a room on the ark at least, you know? Yeah, probably not with me in that room, right? <laughs> well, at least a room. I'm happy with. Whatever, I'm, I'm good. Well, in addition to a number of stories that have surfaced about animal welfare issues, there are a number discussed by our host uh, that you should be listening to every day. And if you can't listen to him on appointment radio from 1 to 3, Monday through Fridays, Colonel Greg Kelly, you got to get him on the podcast because he is eclectic. He discusses a wide range of issues, and he actually brought up the story. Apparently, he is well aware of what happened to Socks, the missing in action cat from the days when Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were in the White House. I want you to listen to what Greg Kelly said and let me know if this if this is what you should be doing with your cat. The cat of Bill Clinton would get on the elevator sometimes. This happened twice. 
and the elevator went up with the leash off. The, the cat almost died. So the, the cat's in the elevator. The uh, Secret Service agent is off the elevator. The elevator doors close. The elevator goes up with the leash on it. The cat almost suffocated, almost broke its neck. I'm looking out for the animals here. Now, Nancy, uh, he was aware that uh, Sox, the cat, was always trying to escape uh, the Clinton White House. So the Secret Service actually would keep a leash on the cat. Now, have you ever seen this before? And is this dangerous for for a cat? Um, Okay, so, yes. So, yeah, the question, is it dangerous? Certainly it's dangerous. Now, I think the only cats that I've ever you know, sort of like had experience with where they're put on leashes is if potentially they're brought outdoors where they're not in their home environment. And those are like maybe like more of the higher energy cats, like for instance, Bengal cats, like they have lots of energy. But a cat that's contained in its own super secure environment, like there shouldn't be a question mark. This cat's not escaping. So to put a cat on a leash is totally absurd. Like, it's in a secure environment. So right away, it's lending itself to the total possibility that there could be an issue because cats can get themselves entwined in anything. So unless you were bringing it outdoors where it could escape, the entire enclosure of the White House is safe. So that would be really strange. Like, so my, my guess is that they were just concerned that for photo ops or any videos they were doing, they didn't want the cat, like, jumping out of nowhere. Because, again, like, think about our cats. If strangers come around, okay, they hide. If they're friendly, they interact. Like, there's zero reason to put a cat on a leash in an enclosed area. Well, unless you were the Clintons and you didn't want socks escaping with the Clinton And you didn't know the personality of the cat. Like, you know, you you literally thought it would try to escape because it wanted out of there (laughs) because that makes no sense. That's not the cat's personality. Well, anyway, uh, into a series of questions now. Uh, Let's uh, discuss dogs for a moment. How can you tell if your dog is depressed? How many dogs are depressed? And how can you help once you make that determination? Okay, yeah, so, so the the story that was like, you know, the study that was out recently was talking about the fact that uh, like 75% of dogs when they're older are like diagnosed with quote-unquote like depression, right? So it, if people have dogs as pets and you have them for a number of years, I think it's like a normal thing. You assume that, oh, as they get older, they're less playful, they're less engaged. So it's these presumptions, right? Again, and this really goes to also like why people bring um, their pets to a vet, right? Like do people bring their pets to a vet every single year to get, oh, diagnosis, blood work, oh, you know, where's my pet's health at? I think a lot of people, I mean, I mean, for obvious reasons, financial you know, they don't bring their pets, you know, to have like, you know, yearly checkups. So you're inclined to bring your pet to a vet when something seems amiss, like something's really extreme. But when uh, pets get older, especially dogs, oh, they play a little less. Oh, they eat a little less. You don't think anything of it. 
but they have the same sort of elements that people do. So, you know, like, so for instance, dementia is something that exists in cats and dogs and is something that has gone, you know, undiagnosed for a long period of time because, again, it's not something that pet owners would be cued into because they wouldn't bring their pet to the vet. It's like, oh, you're eating a little less, you're playing a little less, but this is something that's really undiagnosed and is very treatable. So some of the things, um, you know, same way with, like, people. It's like, you know, the mental decline that you can have with pets. Let's face it, I mean, they're in the same situation all the time. So if you assume that they have the same quality of life all the time, but you need to engage with them, so the more you're, like, walking with them, the more you're engaging with them, and the more you're giving them toys and things that stimulate their sort of mental cognition, those are things that sort of help them going forward. But uh, the point was to say, like, if you see any sort of a decline in their activity, don't just assume that it's, oh, they're getting older. It could be something that's addressable because they actually have a, an issue. Wow. So you mean pets, whether they're yeah. dogs or cats or other pets, could actually develop dementia like human beings? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I see uh, recently, uh, I was very perturbed by this, you set up a spy cam in the house <laughs> so that when you were away, you could keep track of the rescue cats and me when I'm in the house and spy on us. First off, what was the purpose of that? And what all, all of a sudden motivated, uh, motivated you after all of these years of not spying to suddenly spy on me and the cats? Okay, first of all, I don't spy on you, number one, right? The whole reason that this uh, security cam, you know, came around is because uh, we had an issue at our place and there was like a, you know, whatever, someone tried to like, you know, someone tried to break into the apartment, like it was a security type issue, right? But the thing with having the cams, right? So when people are away from their home, and they want to check in on their pets and see what's going on, there's a number of, like, uh, pet cameras out there. So there's companies, you know, that have pet cameras. So uh, there's a lot of normal security cameras that fit the same exact bill. It's like you can just sort of watch what's going on. So the one that we have, which is great, right, it's like when we leave and it's, like, cued into, like, you know, you download the app on your phone and you just turn it on when you leave, it's great because you can see anytime it detects movement. You know, it's like it has like the night cam. You can also talk to them directly. You can actually send your voice out to them as well. So it's like this is like the, the first time that I've been able to see what happens when we're not around in the apartment, which is great. Now, let me ask you a question because when you first demonstrated it to me while we were at, a, at an event, one of the cats jumped in front of the camera, put its tush, its tuchus in the camera, and for like three hours, that's all we saw was the tush, the tuchus. Was it covering up the camera so that when the cat's away, the other mice could play? Yeah, yeah. there was one cat who, who sat in front of it because what I realized is like, you know, when it, when it triggers, when it goes on, it actually makes a noise, like a little click. 
And the cats, they're so clued on to, like, these tiny noises. So the minute they heard the click, like, one of the cats just literally stationed itself right in front of the camera, like, blocking the camera the entire time. So it's like, I think we might have to position it differently where they can't do that. But they were just like, there's so many pictures we had of their, like, faces in front of it, them, like, you know, you know, posing for the camera. It's like they just hear it, they see it. It's like it sets off a little light. It's like... Yeah, we have to position it where they can't interact as much. Yeah, but, you know, in prison they do that. One of the inmates blocks the cameras so that the CEOs, the screws, can't see the inmates. Yeah, I don't know what they were doing, but clearly one of the cats was blocking it. Yeah, for sure. So now, what would you recommend to people who are thinking of getting this kind of spy camera? Should you buy a pet camera because they have these specialty cameras? Or should you just buy a normal security camera? Well, I think I think both of them really fit the bill, right? It's like depending upon what you're looking for. I think the pet ones, it's like some of them are geared toward, oh, you can do something where it um it triggers, you know, dispensing a treat or things like that. But then again, the security cameras, they have similar features as well where you can speak, like you can actually talk and say, oh, hey, cat, like you can talk to them. So I think there's a lot of um similarity but i think just looking into and researching a little bit of it because you know you have to set them up you have to figure out like how to kind of get them connected but i think the biggest thing is positioning the cameras because the closer it is for the cats or dogs to interact i mean again with the cats it's easy for them like they jump on they'll, they'll sit in front of it they just block the whole view you just have to figure out how to you know, position the camera where they can't do that, and this way you can get a good view of everything going on. Now, I understand that with the uh, billion-dollar industry out there for people to go on diets to lose weight, oftentimes people, if they've had a successful diet to lose weight, they'll use the very same diet for their pet friends, their 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 pet uh, animals. Yeah, so there's a lot of, um, obviously, people who are uh, super health conscious themselves and, you know, looking into how do I uh, help my pet be as healthy as they can be? Because again, again, and this is really, uh, in my opinion, it definitely is a very new way of thinking because, you know, the same way that it oh pets like very passive. Oh, they do what they do. I see them when I see them, as opposed to like realizing, oh, you have to interact with them. You have to engage them. So this is like the next level as well. It's not that you just put down food and they just eat what they eat. You want them to be as healthy as they can be because, you know, if you're not doing that, you know, at the latter end of their life, and that could be like the last half of their life, like they're not as healthy, playful, engaging, they're, you know, all these things, the reasons why you want to make them as healthy as you can, you know, sadly, a lot of, um, you know, uh, protocol sort of animal foods, they're very processed, and there's a lot of new things that, you know, newer companies, like, you know, newer sort of uh, animal diets, so when people are maybe at a crossroads, some of them are actually, you know, using the same sort of diet they have and utilizing it for their pets. And that's been something that I think is great because you think about it in the concept of, for instance, like people who do uh, workouts, 
like the reason why you have, you know, personal trainers or why you work out with someone else is like there's someone else engaged in the mix. So I think with, you know, improving people's diets, you're like, oh, I'm improving my diet and I'm doing better for my pet who I love. That's my family member. So it's like someone else who's engaged and really, you know, like going to benefit by you making this sort of change. So there's a lot of people who are changing their pets' diets to match their own so that the pets are healthier. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Any questions uh, under the sun for our animal welfare expert who now wants to muscle her way into the title, the opening title <laughs> of uh, this segment, uh, Nancy. Uh, let's go to Karen in East Brunswick, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Karen. Hi. Um, I uh, heard Nancy talking about the camera for the cats. Yes. That's a wonderful idea. If she took the camera and put it on an angle, she would be able to see most of what was going on in the room. Oh, oh my God, don't tell me. What happened there? Karen seen Oh, I thought my I thought my phone went out. Oh my god. It was like a calamity, calamity Karen there. It, you oh, was I'm like sorry. having a heart attack. I thought we'd have to go over there and try to give you mouth to mouth resuscitation. You know what? It's funny with it, with that um uh the security camera that I have, like I started playing around with the features like when I was out and apparently there was one that was like a super security where if it detected movement, it would make a like a buzzing sound, like it would like make noises and flash. And I inadvertently set that off, and I saw the video from that, and my cats were running away for like their life. <laughs> it's like, so it's like, but again, it's great to see like what the cats do when you're not there, because it's just totally different their behavior. You see like, oh, how do they interact? What do they do? What's going on? And this way, when you're not there and you're concerned about them at least it gives you a little peace of mind, like, oh, this is what's going on, and they're okay. I think that's wonderful. My neighbor has a new kitten. He must be about six months old. I watch him every day from the window. He never leaves the property. He stays with the, within the yard. And he this, this is the most strangest thing of all about the new pup, the new kitten. He follows him around like a dog. He actually follows uh, my neighbor, Lou, all over the yard, and uh, he never leaves his side. And I've never seen that before. Usually I've seen it in a dog, but never a cat. Now, now this wonder, kitten, was it like, um, was it, um, you know, gotten from like a, a tiny age? It didn't have like a mother? No, actually, he, he, he was gotten at a tiny age. He was found in the backyard originally. Okay, yeah, because we've they, had some kittens where when they're super tiny and if you become their pretty much like surrogate parents, they have that same sort of attitude toward you. Like they follow you like they would in theory follow their parents. So it's like they're very clingy, which I think is great, but then you got to be mindful of it because they're viewing you as their parent. Like they need to follow you all the time. So I've definitely noticed that. Ah, continued estrogen here. It's Esther in Woodhaven. <laughs> Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Esther. Thank you. We enjoy this segment very much. You know, I'm very glad that poor Socks wasn't suicided in the Clinton era. I know, right? Exactly. Terrible. 
Um, Nancy, could you tell me, do you know the TNR project uh, that, I think it was Bloomberg who initiated it uh, through the ASPCA. Are those vans still doing that outreach? Do you know? Yeah, they definitely are. And the, I mean, as far as I know, the TNR, so for instance, if you go to uh, online, you know, uh, ASPCA, they, um, you know, sort of administered the uh, TNR uh, sort of program. So for instance, once you get the TNR certification, then you get the logins and they tell you, so when they're going to different neighborhoods, so, you know, either you're going to, let's say, a uh, like a local van that's coming out for the day and it's like either a one or two day process, or if you have the TNR certification, which is like a course that you can do by either online or in person, then you can bring them to the facility. Um, you know, my recollection is at this point now it's in Glendale. I'm not sure if they've expanded it at this point, but once you get the TNR certification, you can bring them anytime to Glendale, and if you don't, you just have to wait to see where the van is located, and they have, like, public, uh, you know, sort of a spay-neuter uh, services. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert in Washington Heights. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Robert. Hello. Uh, cats are very finicky. What do you serve them? Uh, well, well, again, right, so it it definitely depends. Um, uh, with the cats, it's like obviously my – I think my go-to thing is, number one, it's putting soft food. I'm not super a fan of, like, uh, dry food. Um, dry food is great if you're, like, leaving for a while so they have something. But the whole goal with uh, feeding cats that, you know, like I've read about and that I've experienced myself is – you have to just keep in mind they're predators, right? So if you just leave out food all day, it kind of uh, takes away from their uh, predator sort of uh, inclination. You put down food for a period of time, like 20, 30 minutes. Whatever they eat, they eat. Okay, and then you just do the next feeding after that. That kind of keeps their metabolism where it needs to be. I think um, the worst thing to do for indoor cats is just leave food all the time because you know, they don't they don't have that instinct to, like, hunt if they're not doing that stuff. So it's like you put it down for a period of time, let them eat what they eat, and then just feed them the next time around. But I definitely always go for soft food because one of the biggest issues also as well with, like, older cats is dental disease. So tougher food, harder food is difficult. All right. Uh, let's go to Giuseppe Joey in Milford, Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, listen, great radio as always, and thanks a lot for taking my call. My question for Nancy was this. Uh, PETA, are you familiar with PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals? Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. They're, you know, they've been known to be kind of controversial over the years and stuff. And I was curious, as somebody who's into animal rights like yourself, what, what's your opinion of that organization? Do you think they go too far, or what do you think? Um, well, again, like, I mean, again, like most things, I would say – yeah, you know, I mean, it's very hit or miss. Um, I think anything that can uh, draw any attention to animal issues is great, but, you know, the extent to which they're accomplishing their goal, I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell. Like, just being honest, right, because, you know, once you start having 
uh, you know, a, a group of people, people are paid, this and that, it's hard to tell, right? Maybe sometimes they're being affected by other sort of things. So, um, I mean, I can't say across the board, you know, where they're standing. And then plus, I mean, the issue I think as well is, you know, I would always be concerned if they're taking money from people who are like elected officials. I mean, I think the goal for them should be as much independence as they should. So if the goalpost is, you know, functioning for animal rights, I think they should only be taking donations from animal lovers and totally restrict anything from any political realm. I think that would really serve their purpose. Let's go uh, to Al, who's calling from Tenafly, New Jersey. Welcome to the Animal Welfare uh, edition of WABC, Al. Hey, Nancy. Hey, uh, Curtis. How you doing tonight, kids? Anyway, um, uh, I grew up on a farm in Delaware County, New York, uh, and we had 250 cows. I was a kid in the 1940s, and we had five dogs that would herd the cows down to the barn. Now, only one dog was a collie, which traditionally in my um, youth, I used to think that Lassie come home and all that stuff, and that uh, that particular dog might have somehow trained the other dogs. Did they follow, do you think, that collie, or do you think it was a natural herding instinct that they all had? Oh, I definitely think they probably followed the collie. I mean, I think, uh, you know, all these um, groups of animals, like I've noticed with cats, it's like they, you know, the reason they have colonies, there's groups, like, they do follow the behavior, so if they saw this behavior, they fo- they probably just followed the collie. But actually, just curious, um, in, in the situation like you grew up in, um, do you think uh, sort of the way that the the animals were raised, like, you know, I mean, do you have any when you look at the way the animals were raised when you were growing up? I mean, what do you think that is like compared to what you see with like corporate, you know, animals being raised today? Well. Um, during that period of time, Nancy, um, having a dairy farm yeah. was a tough challenge uh, in the late 1940s because uh, obviously people were coming back from World War II. We had a very difficult time uh, keeping anybody who was a, a hand, if, if you will, uh, yeah, yeah. a farm hand, right? And um, I think during that period of time, uh, and of course, the other thing was that uh, there were uh, developing at that time uh, big uh, milk refineries yeah. that were like Breakstones and other companies like that. And so, therefore, uh, it became much more imperative for those of us to survive on farms up in places like Delaware County, which is now probably uh, an area where you would consider it to be uh, low-end because uh, dairy farms are no longer successful over there. Um, but I think in reality, the um, the idea after World War II was that we're getting into more modern equipment, modern uh, milk milking machines, although you use milking machines to milk a cow, afterward you would have to uh, strip the last milk out by hand 
that's what kids like me did uh, who were there living on the farm. And so, therefore, it was becoming a much more sophisticated uh, industry. And uh, thank you for taking my call tonight. Keep up the good work. All right, let's go, if we can, to Fran, who's calling from North Belmore. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC with Nancy Sliwa, Fran. Hey, Curtis, how you doing tonight? Um, not good, since my wife is trying to all of a sudden uh, bum-rush me and become part of the title of this hour, like my son, like Frank Morano is trying to muscle me out of the other side of midnight. It just seems it's, a, it's a, an entire cabal here. Oh, boy. Well, let me tell you something. I have a great name for your show. Oh, what's that? What's that? Okay, I have two, actually. Schmoozing with Curtis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or the other one is you just mentioned it. You didn't realize it. I think this is even better. Taking it to the streets with Curtis Lewa. Hmm. Okay. Now that you've offered your two suggestions, let's get back on track with the animal welfare situation, Fran. Sure. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> Fran, you have to go first. Fran, you're the one who oh, called about an animal welfare <laughs> issue. No, I called because I wanted to give you a good name for your show. But but in reference to animal welfare, I used to feed cats at Jones Beach all the time, and I got in trouble for it because they said it was like I was feeding the sharks, and I was just going to propagate more and more cats. Feeding the sharks? You know what? Okay, and that's the issue I've encountered through the years, too, with uh, feeding the outdoor cats. It's yes. like there's no – sadly, there's no uh, legal right to feed the cats. And when you do it, normally you're doing it on some form of property that belongs to other people. And when yeah. you're dealing with whoever's working there, there's this like sort of a concept that like you're bringing the animals there. So it's even difficult to get to that point where you say, look, I'm doing what needs to be done to keep the population down. They live here. They're the same like any other animal. They're going to breed. I'm taking care of like. You have to go through so many steps, and sometimes, like, right away, you're just dealing with someone who's angry and upset and annoyed and has the impression that you're, like, literally bringing, like, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 cats there. It's like, like it's tough to get the conversation rolling. So, And then, plus, I think um, it's almost like the the personality of people who are feeding animals they're usually very docile and kind, and when they, you know, come up to, with someone who's very argumentative and, let's face it, like, you know, really not very logical and annoying and yelling at them, it becomes, like, right away, it, it's tough to get that middle ground. So I think this is a great place where if we can get the conversation started, we can get people who are middlemen, we can get sort of, like, people understanding, even if you don't like these animals, the fact is, they're here. They serve a purpose. They're going to be here no matter what. This is what they do. This is what's going on. This is the like. If you take, I mean, the people who are annoyed at the cats, okay, take the cats out. Now you want to have a whole bunch of rats. Like, there's conversation you can have where people can start to understand, but you need to have that middle ground. I will tell you that when we return, Nancy, we are going to play that opening again. Okay. You want to tell me specifically what you object to because this is a week in which my son Anthony objected to the fact that the podcast is a father and son uh, featuring Curtis and Anthony. He wants it to say a son and father featuring Anthony and Curtis. 
Then we have Frank Morano had a hissy fit last week, right at the end of this hour, in which he insisted that we change the name uh, from the other side of midnight, the weekend edition, and now we're searching for a new name. And now you're giving me a hard time uh, about the title of this hour. When we return, we've got to settle all scores. Over the course of human history, history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's art. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Well, and listening to that again, Nancy, I think we can compromise on this so we can get rid of from bipeds to quadrupeds. Would that make you happy? No, no, I'm just saying, like, I would say I just want to be at least on the ark. Like, that would make me happy. Um, and in terms of Anthony... I think from a, a naming convention, he has A, so he definitely deserves to be at the at the front end of the, the naming convention for the podcast. Oh, and now that you've thrown me off the ark, are you going to side with uh, hissy fit Frank Morano, who no longer wants... No, I mean, you know, he, he's just making a hissy fit. Like, yeah, he has no argument for nothing. It's like, we do, he has none. All right, now back to the audio tape. Greg Kelly show that you've got to listen to every Monday through Friday from one to three handles a panoply of different issues. Or you can get it on the podcast at WABCradio.com. He was talking, uh, Nancy, about Joe Biden's dog and how the president originally got injured while playing with his German Shepherd. Joe Biden has a new dog. You can see it on my mm, Twitter. At Greg Kelly USA, Joe always gets into problems with his dogs. You know, he gave away one dog when it bit him, but basically it was too old and not cute anymore. There's always something weird going on with Joe Biden and his dogs. Let me hear that, please. What happened was I, <laughs> I got out of the shower. I got a dog, and anybody who's been around my house knows, dropped a little pup, dropped a ball in front of me and for me to grab the ball. And I'm walking through this little alleyway to get to the bedroom. And I grabbed the ball Alice. and he ran and I was joking, running after him to grab his tail. And what happened was that uh, he slid on a throw rug and I tripped on the, on the rug he slid on. That's what happened. That's what happened. And that's what happened. That's my story. Who the hell plays with their dog like the dog is 10 years old. Is the dog is you're playing ball with the dog in the bathroom. Now, Nancy. Uh, as an expert on all things involving animals, was Greg Kelly uh, uh, correct in extrapolating uh, to that conclusion? I mean, totally correct, because everything about that story sounds odd. Like, first of all, I mean, like an older dog isn't going to be hanging outside a bathtub waiting for someone, number one, and an adult wouldn't be trying to pull on a dog's tail. Like, that's odd. Like, everything about this story sounds really strange and odd, and not that it makes any sense. Like, something's really off with this story, and, like, at a minimum, this dog should have been 
you know, you know, in a different area. But I can't see this dog with all this space in the White House hanging outside the shower when he's bathing. Like, that makes no sense. Well, you're in agreement with Greg Kelly on that. Yeah, because that, that's totally odd. Like, that's absurd. Anyway, let's go to uh, the callers. And it's Debbie, who's queued up from Cranford, New Jersey. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC. Debbie? Hi there, Curtis and Nancy. I love this show because when I was younger, I had three pets. One was a uh, canary who used to sing a lot, and then one day it stopped singing, and it um, just started shedding feathers. And then there, um, and animals have musical notes because you can tell what voice part they are, like soprano, alto, tenor, bass. And I also had a kitten that was brought to us by a friend in my Presbyterian church in Montclair, my New Jersey, my old town. And then um, I used to read Braille books, and it, the cat used to play with my fingers because... She thought I wanted to play, and then, <laughs> and then we had a dog um, who was a, a three-pound French poodle. And whenever we used to take her to um, for a walk, people would get out of their cars and, and talk to mom and said, "Oh, you should put her in car in, in dog shows." And, and mom never followed through because she didn't know what. <laughs> what it was about, what to do with it. So when the dog got cancer, Mommy cried a whole lot. My grandmother was visiting from Massachusetts, and she had to bury her in the backyard. Now, uh, uh, I know, Nancy, you've gone through that process also uh, on those occasions when uh, your rescue cats have passed to the hereafter that is a very, very difficult time. How should people actually handle those arrangements? Uh, I mean, that's a yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely a pretty deep question. Um, it's yeah, like I mean, I mean, my philosophy always is when I mean again, I mean it, again, it's a very intricate type of question. You know, sometimes it takes a while before you find out, like, your your pet might be, you know, just lagging a little, and you don't realize what's going on. I always feel like my personal opinion is if your, you know, pet has a decent quality of life and you're doing everything you can to keep them as happy as you can, you know, I mean, I always feel like you should just keep them alive as long as possible, uh, the thing is, like, obviously, when you get these types of notifications, sometimes, it, like, with Hope, Hope, the cat we had, it just hit really quickly. Like, it was, like, literally, like, a week turnaround. And, you know, so once you see, okay, you know, so it's like once you see the quality of life goes downhill. But, you know, in terms of the the, the initial thing that, that she was saying with the vocalization, I mean, with all the cats we have, there's only two cats we have that make any noise and that's like, uh, you know, Mittens and Athena when she's saying anything. So it's like the vocalization of the cats. It's like, I mean, I, that that really sort of, a, you know, sort of a hit a note with me because 
we have just one cat who will actually talk to you and speak to you and you look at them and start, you know, making noises. Everyone else is quiet. So it's like I like the, the vocalization of the animals. It's like when they interact like that, the rest of them just like kind of look at you and just do what they're doing. But we have one cat who makes noise all the time. Let's go, if we can, to Scott in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Scott. Hey, thank you, guys. I want to tell you first, I love the show every week. It's so informing. Um, first, Curtis, I just real quick, I met you years ago. I used to work for law enforcement, and I was up here on vacation. I actually worked for law enforcement in Kentucky. I was up visiting my parents in Connecticut, and I met you down in New York. Um, we talked for a little bit. But real quick, name for your show. Mama Luke free after midnight. <laughs> I like that. Mama Luke free after midnight. That's excellent. <laughs> and then uh, the question is real quick. I have two sisters, which I inherited both of my cats from my fiance who passed away two years ago. Sorry. And oh, thank you. And one of them will not put her face in the water bowl. She will dip her paw and just lick it off her paw. No matter what you do, she just. I don't know if that's something odd or if it's something that happened to her when she was young. She was the runt of the litter. Okay, so just, so the, the only way that you feed the water, it's like through a water bowl? Yeah, I give them... Okay, uh, I have a thing oh, which is like like a superstar thing for a couple of my cats. It's like literally like a little water bowl fountain that you plug in. And some of them will okay. only go to that thing because it's like this like running water and they love it. Okay. I never thought about that. I'll definitely have to try that. Yeah, cause, and then there's one cat we have that actually every time the water force that goes on runs up to it no matter what's going on because it wants a drink from that. So it's like some of them have different water needs, and you might just have, like, cats that are having that thing where it's like only one thing really resonates with them. Okay. Well, thank you. So, Vera, I never even thought about trying it. I'm going to have to try that out with her. Thank oh, yeah. I mean, I have, much. like, two or three cats that only go to that thing, and they love it. All right. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Mike. Hey, guys. I love your show. Um, yeah, I have uh, two, two small questions. Uh, we have a cat that uh, was a rescue, and... Uh, she seems like she has a jaw problem, and her jaw kind of, like, opens up, like, if you touch her on the side. It's like she has a jaw problem, and I don't know what the problem is. Uh, I was told that we might have to have her looked at. And uh, yeah, Any ideas? Uh, Nancy, uh, uh, you've run across so many rescue cats. Uh, have you ever had any specifically with a jaw issue? Well, when I, the the times I've had cats that have, like, issues with uh, their mouth in general, um, usually it's because of uh, some sort of, like, a, a dental issue, which, I mean, is not for nothing. It's like it, it is a reality for a lot of cats as they get older, especially depending on the foods they eat. So if they, if it's tough for them to eat or they start to get, like, a little bit of a dental issues going on, they might just have their jaws open. Like I, we have a one cat that, you know, when it falls asleep, it's like its tongue sticking out. So that's a very common issue with cats as they get older. So if you um, bring the cat to, you know, say like uh, the, your your vet and they can sort of uh, help you sort of diagnose maybe what it is, but 
the dental issue is a big thing. So what I do, especially with the older cats we have, is, um, you know, hard food, you know, dry food, that's tough for them. So I always try to feed the softest food possible because it's just the reality is when they get older, it's tough for them to eat hard food. So that's something that can help them in that sense. One final question uh, from Phil in Mendham, New Jersey. Uh, Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Phil. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Curtis. Uh, I have a, uh, a, a opinion about PETA and a question to Nancy about the dog whisperer, that guy, uh, Cesar Milan. On PETA, I just wanted to run this past you, Nancy, that uh, back you know, 100 years ago, uh, horses could drop dead in their traces as they were you know, pulling wagons in New York, and the owner could just cut the corpse out and put a fresh horse in if they wanted, and nobody could say boo, nobody batted an eyelash. And it was relatively crazy people at that time that went against that, and eventually animals developed to be more than just a property right for an owner's horse. And these people now, these PETA people, I don't I certainly don't agree with lots of things that they advocate, but I kinda understand that the only way this is gonna work is they're gonna be advocates. They're gonna play that role because no one else is gonna live, breathe and daily, you know, uh have that kind of uh passion and whatever i mean besides you Nancy. and and then the rest of us kind of stop them because it, it's a pluralistic system so i welcome them i'm not threatened by them but you have to stay awake and not let them pass legislation that animals can get divorces or or something from their owners when we're not paying attention so that's kind of my view of them uh i i would ask you a question about the dog whisperer too if that's okay yeah, um, well, yeah, so, in, I mean, the, the I, I would have to definitely look more into the uh, dog whisperer, but in terms of PETA, um, I would say, like, I, I totally get where you're coming from because I agree with that as well. It's like there's very few um, organizations and people that are in any way prioritizing animal issues. So, I mean, my opinion is, you know, there is some degree of, them not doing it in the best way possible, but you know, at this point, there, you know, there's uh, there's a little bit of a shortfall of people who can get any acknowledgement for animal issues. So that's just a reality. So I'd like for them to do um, stuff a little better. I don't agree with some things that they uh, stand for, especially like their uh, for feral cats being, you know, sort of euthanized. Like, so again, there's disagreements I have, but I get what you're saying. So. I think the issue is anything that can really move forward uh, the, you know, sort of uh, advancing animal issues. And I, I was just reading about something where someone had uh, done something undercover. They're like working at a, uh, a slaughter farm for cows, and, and and they actually got something advanced where, you know, so they had like a lawsuit, that, you know, and it's like with the cows, the calves, they, they take off their – you know, their horns and they don't use any, you know, pain medication. It's a such, it's a ridiculously slow process. And that's really the problem. Like, like to your point, they're viewed as property. So all these companies who utilize them, everything that's uh, animal welfare law is so small for like usually pet ownership, but any animal that's used for research or for food 
they're totally outside the scope. You can pretty much do anything to them. So it does become super discouraging, and it really requires, like, changing these laws and some of these things. Like, And I, and I think one of the big things that will make a lot of sense going forward is any cities or states where there's referendum initiative, if you can put anything on the ballot that protects these animals who are pretty much born and raised just to be food, that's important because that's something at least you can do because at this point they fall outside the spectrum of any protection. So that's important. Now, if uh, individuals uh, wanted to get in touch with you during the week before your next appearance uh, next week, in which no doubt you'll probably uh, boycott it if we haven't changed uh, the opening to include uh, uh, not only Noah's Ark, but Mrs. Noah, Nancy, uh, Nancy Sliwa. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I just want to be on the Ark, but uh, Nancy at GuardianAngels.org. Nancy at GuardianAngels.org. And if you'd like to find out more about what Nancy does all during the week, she is the director of the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. You could go to uh, GuardianAngels.org. That's GuardianAngels.org. You hit the tag that says Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, and uh, you can get in touch with Nancy there and find out all the good work that Nancy does on a regular basis with so many other volunteers. So, We'll get to work on this, Nancy. I don't know if I'm going to prioritize this. I'm so proud of all these people who call in because they're doing such good work. Like, it makes my heart happy. Yeah, well, my heart is uh, not as happy now that um, you're sort of, you're really, uh, you're just like Anthony. It's unbelievable. You're just like Frank Morano. You're you're trying to muscle in on No, not like Frank Morano. Come on. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, he's coming up next, and you know what that's going to mean, Nancy. We're going to hear him telling us, well, well, maybe we we shouldn't have a name of a show at all. I, uh, I love his wife, though. She, you know, she loves cats. Oh, that's that's right. They do have cats. They do have there rescue cats exactly. that they have, and and actually, yeah, they're raising their their baby Carmine, who now I think is about thirty six pounds. <laughs> Uh, since he was birthed on Thanksgiving with uh, three I love cats. Rachel. Three cats. Uh, well, once again, we appreciate it, Nancy. Thank you. Up next, do we have to? Yeah, we have to pass off the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to uh, Frank, who told us last week, this same time, this same place, get a new name. This is it. Now that we've been told by the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks that we must have a different name than The Other Side of Midnight, starring Frank Morano. You've done this, Frank, because you had a hissy fit, and last week told us that we had to change our name. They, they deferred to you, and now um, I'm, stuck, I'm stuck with their decision that they make based on the many... Many suggestions that have poured in from our many listeners. Well, you'll have to just deal with the seven other shows that you host within a span of 48 hours, and hopefully you can rename some of them to your liking. Oh, and you're going to try to get those renamed, too. (laughs) That's right. Now, Frank Morano, what can we expect uh, as you begin the week uh, with the other side of midnight? Big show. uh, Really big show. Obviously, you've been talking about all weekend long. The president's decision, including just uh, over the last few hours, the president's decision to 
beg Saudi Arabia for more oil. Uh, this comes in the <laughs> aftermath of them doing the largest mass execution of 81 people, a public execution, no less. And this sparks quite a debate among our listeners about, hey, look, some people say it's none of our business. If they're going to give us our oil, let them kill whoever they want internally. And other people are just outraged. One of those people that's outraged is Terry Strada, who lost her husband on September 11th. Mm. And since then, she's been raging a 20-year battle as the chair of 9-11 Families United to find out, uh, to expose what Saudi Arabia actually knew and what they actually may have done in the run-up to September 11th. Not at all happy with Biden's decision. She's going to join me exclusively at 3.30. And um, coming up on March 27th, the story that I've been covering, and I know you're familiar with, Police officer Sal Greco is about to be fired. He's about to be drummed out of the department, hasn't committed a crime. There's no allegation that he participated in the January 6th riot or anything like that. But apparently his big crime is being friends with Roger Stone. Now, Roger Stone has now launched a website and a whole operation in support of Sal Greco. Roger's going to join me exclusively in about 20 minutes to explain why he believes Sal is being railroaded and why he's going to try to mobilize essentially the entire right of center political movement in support of Sal. And obviously this explosive piece in the Washington Post about him saying some not very nice things about Donald Trump. I'm going to play the audio that as published by the Washington Post and get Roger to respond. Now, well. who is it uh, that, according to the Washington Post, is saying unflattering things about former President Trump? Roger Stone is. So wow. I'm going to play audio. Now, again, one of the many berets that I wear, Curtis, is that I was the producer of the Netflix original documentary, Get Me, Roger Stone. Not just me, but there were, I think, six of us. And people could still watch that. It's still just as watchable today. In fact, I would argue more so than when it came out. But Roger got ticked off at the three directors of this documentary, and he didn't want to do a second documentary with them because they had written uh, an op-ed that he found disfavorable. Morgan, the main director, had uh, done some TV appearances that he didn't like. So I, I, they tried to get me to make the piece, to mediate a... To do the shit out. Right. Do, do the shit um, Roger said, nope, I don't want any part of those guys. I'm going to do my own documentary. So he entered into this partnership with some Danish filmmakers. And these Danish filmmakers did a job on him, because the uh, footage that they have already released... This is before the movie's released. They've released about 40 minutes to the Washington Post, which the Washington Post has published. It does not necessarily uh, portray him in a flattering light. We still have unfinished business. I gave up time in my life that I'll never get back to give an interview to that original Netflix documentary about Roger Stone. That's true. All of which ended up on the cutting so, floor. So my own uh, look, I'm on the cutting room floor. My own interviews. I was interviewed 20 times. It's not just you. There was a lot of great people that were cut out of that documentary. Judge Andrew Napolitano, myself, Dan Rother, Tom Kane, um, uh, and the guy whose birthday it is today, the great Bob Grant. Oh, now wait a second. Now I can't take umbrage to that. If they cut out my mentor, the king of all talk radio, the reason that you're in talk radio now, Frank, I'm in talk radio, Bill O'Reilly's in talk radio, Howard Stern's in talk radio, Sean Hannity's in talk radio, because of the influence that that Bob Grant, the king of talk radio, had on all of us. So, yeah, I'm not going to complain any longer. If they left him on the cutting room floor, I shouldn't have been a consideration.